me know when. You want to turn the volume down, bro? Yeah, I'm bummed by it. It's fetching the video. We are. <laughs> I don't know why it takes so long to fetch the video. <laughs> no, Where is it fetching from? It's on the same damn computer. It's. Uh, I blame Zuckerberg for it. So. I got it. It got in it, my fella. It's always you. Oh, blame me. I don't care. All right. Let me just really quickly set this up, and then we go into deep conversations, deep waters. Extremely deep waters. Armin is already with us. What's up, Armin? My brother Armin? No, okay. the Gregorian. Ah, Armin Greek. <coughs> Not Armin, Armin. Armin, sorry. Okay. Known that guy for many, many years, too. Good morning, gentlemen. Good afternoon. How are you guys? Happy Monday. TGIM. TGIM. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. <laughs> uh, today we have a special guest, Mr. Dr. Kanedik, I'm sorry. Dr. No, Vahem Milikian. How are you, Vai? Good, good. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Thank you for joining us on this fabulous Monday to educate not only us, but our guests as well. We have a lot to learn today. Our listeners. Our listeners. Our, 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 I'm sorry, our listeners. And our watchers. Our, and our watchers. <laughs> <laughs> it's too early for that, man. Well, way too early. You've well, got to do it at the true. end because no, sometimes they don't watch it all the way to the end. You started with the whole Mr. Doctor mix-up, so I thought, why not the... Jump in and just jump say the watchers. Yeah, mess you up even more. There you go. Are you guys done? I think we're done. We're Doctor done being Vi. cute. <laughs> <laughs> we have, dude, we have a lot to talk about today. I mean, off camera, we were just discussing some minor topics here and there, but... We didn't want to get too deep into it because there's, there's a lot of stuff that's not only informative, but it's just it, it's new things for everybody. We have, there's a lot of new stuff that's coming out that people aren't even aware of that obviously we'll jump into, right? You didn't yes, want to get into talk. it, huh? You mm-hmm. had your pants down, Osma. I didn't want to get into it. Listen, man, what we do <laughs> off camera does not, <laughs> the guests don't need to know. <laughs> I mean, you're embarrassing the poor doctor, know, not me. No, 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 <laughs> Arno, Arno has no shame in that. Yeah. It's a weekly time. Of course not. How you doing, bud? I'm doing well. Thank you for having How's me. How's your Monday going so far? It's going great. Have your patients driven you crazy yet, or are you still okay? Not yet, no. It's <laughs> just the beginning. Yeah, it's the but, first day of um, <laughs> We'll dive into all different types of topics. I mean, what integrative medicine is, first and foremost. Yes. We can talk about uh, hormone replacement, exosomes, some of the new things that are coming along in, in the field of medicine, specifically integrative medicine. Mm. So when we talk about integrative medicine, I mean... A lot of people need to understand kind of what that means, okay? So we're trying to integrate different dis, uh, disciplines of medicine. For example, you've got the conventional side, which is the allopathic side of medicine. We have the homeopathic side of medicine. We have the naturopathic side of medicine. We have acupuncture. All the different disciplines, how they come together for the best care for our patients <coughs> kind of integratively. Though. Yeah. In that, what goes is basically the, the aspects that were taught through medical school, um, how do we integrate the new things that are coming up uh, over the last 10 years or going in the next 20 years? So, um, I mean, I could do a little bit of introduction of kind of yeah, schooling. and Let's do that. Let's, let's jump into the whole schooling stuff, where you went to school, where you graduated, and then we'll get into what you specialize in and mm-hmm. obviously uh, what you, where your offices are located as well. Because a lot of people have a misconception about naturopathic or integrative doctors they think you guys took a weekend course they have no idea that it's an actual medical school you went no to, no so yeah we'll get into so all that right now yeah if you can cover a little bit of your background definitely so that 
uh, our listeners understand Definitely. that you have an extensive background. Of it's course. not a weekend certificate that allows you to. No. You know. So <laughs> I wish. You're not brewing herbs at no, the office. No, no, no. <laughs> so I'll get into it. So basically, I went to UCSD um, in San Diego, got a double bachelor's in uh, neuroscience and physiology. I also minored in physics. So physics was my passion, uh, but um, I loved neuroscience as well. It kind of shaped my view on overall what I think of medicine at that time and kind of the ideas I had going into the future. So uh, specifically neuroscience as well. Um, kind of I started building some, how do I say it the best way, like a um, little bit of, I, I tried to challenge uh, what I was going to learn in med school and mm -hmm. looking at what they were teaching me, I kind of was the student that would always kind of get in trouble in a sense because I asked too many questions. But at the same time, I didn't want to be blocked into this box of this viewpoint that they wanted me to learn. Were you one of those so, that would say constantly, why, why, why? Yeah, of the course, why? I'm always why, especially going through uh, quantum mechanics. I mean, quantum physics, it just kind of opens up this whole new dynamic of, um, you know, matter and objects and we're not going to even get into that, but I, as I went to UCSD, I graduated, um, I believe, 2012, um, so it took me five years to do the double major. Um, learned a lot at that time, applied to med school, but at that time, I got introduced one day listening to some podcast again. Oh, uh, of all things. Of what, like, <laughs> yeah, what is naturopathic medicine, yeah. okay, um, and what it is. And, this, and I, I thought the same thing that you just said, like, is this like a certificate or what, what can I do with this, right? The first question we ask is what can we get out of it in exactly. a sense of, like, am I going to spend one year, two years, five, six, what's going on? So then I started kind of looking at it and investigating a lot. I, I took a trip to Seattle to one of the schools and kind of went and talked to the professors and stuff like that. And I realized that instead of learning one side of the discipline of medicine, you get to learn that one side, which is conventional allopathic. Mm -hmm. But also you get a little bit of everything else as well. So your, your scope is much more broad, okay, as far as when you look more individually than just kind of broad algorithm based okay so because for example in the way they teach us for in a simple situation of like hypertension or elevated blood pressure you know we give a beta blocker or something like it's just very simplistic but in a sense it's necessary as well but you know i don't like algorithms in a sense I mean, everybody is a little different so in the naturopathic world there's other things that you can rely on and go can i use this 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 before i get to a medication okay yeah so these kind of got me a little bit more interested, and I, I wanted to see how I could integrate that with even UCSD, like med school and UCSD. So waited a year, kind of took all the tests, and then decided to go that route initially. So I went to uh, Bastyr Naturopathic Medical School. So it was their first year coming to San Diego, okay? I was part of the first class that had a basically a connection with the UCSD medical school as well. So we would get the first two years, there was portions where I was over there and going back and forth. Pretty much to kind of sum it up, the first two years is exactly the same. There's no difference, okay? You're getting all the conventional side of medicine. Mm -hmm. Third and fourth year is where it kind of takes a little kind of a turn where besides being in the rotational aspect, you're learning like some herbs, you're learning homeopathy, some, some of these different disciplines that you can kind of put together and use to give the best outcome for your patient, okay? And at that time, what I did was as I started kind of in, interacting with a lot of patients, I saw that every type of medicine has its limitations to some degree, okay? We have to be honest. Every, every discipline <coughs> is necessary, 
For example, in today's world, I feel like everybody's to the left, to the right. This no, your your medical doc, your surgeon is necessary. Everybody has their place. Your acupuncturist, I think, is necessary. Your car- chiropractor. It's supposed to be all working together for the best of the patient. That's kind of what I believe in. Yeah. And as I went through these third and fourth year and on to residency, I started using more of the naturopathic principles that I learned in school, in med school, that gave me better outcomes. Because at the end of the day, we're looking at outcomes, right? Yeah, of course. And another thing that was excellent that I got to learn is diagnostic tools, okay? So we're used to very simple, like a CBC, a CMP, or some simple blood panels that we would run in a sense to make sure that everything's okay. But how do we make these more complex so we can actually dig deep to the root of the cause, right? Like, what do we want to get to ultimately, of course. okay? And one of the biggest things that, again, kind of brought me towards this other side was doctor as teacher. So docere is what we called it, okay? That was huge for me because if I know that I can kind of educate my patient of what's going on and how we're going to fix it and they have a good understanding of what's going on, that's going to be excellent because that's going to make my job a lot more easier in a sense because the patient knows what they're taking, why they're taking it, and what are we looking for as far as objective findings to make sure that we're on the right track. Well, see, let me ask you this. There's a lot of, obviously, doctors that work in uh, hospitals that mm-hmm. rely on uh, the Eastern medicine mm-hmm. as far as, like, uh, home... Oh, I'm sorry, Western medicine, where it's, like, home remedies and acupunctures and herbs and... At the th- hospital? Of no. course. Well, Western, basically. Western. Yeah, I'm sorry, Western, based. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on stuff like that, where they go, oh, do, you know, put so, some, slap some turmeric on a piece of meat, uh, <laughs> slap it onto your thigh, and... So, sh- if you're looking from Western perspective... What's wrong with so your thigh first? To finish, <laughs> to finish, my, uh, finish my whole educational thing, we are licensed... I could give you a prescription as well. So, I do all aspects. Prescription homeopathy, herbs, mm-hmm. okay? And then I went off school. Once I finished uh, the four years of med school, I did residency. I also went to a lot of outside schooling, in a sense, to learn things like PRP, which we'll get into, yeah. injection therapy from osteopathic boards. I learned, for example, a lot about stem cells, exosomes, anti-aging medicine. You got to go learn all this on your own, unfortunately, okay? And this is where my passion lied because I was looking at the future and going, kind of, what can we do to kind of enhance us, you know, me personally as well, okay? So um, all these things in school, they teach you, again, the basics not to hurt somebody, okay? Um, Whether whatever discipline you're using, whether it's medication or not, whatever you're doing, but to become like, to really know your stuff and to go, you got to go dig deep and go to a lot of conferences and got a lot of education outside of school. Mm-hmm. So A4M is a, one of the conferences we go to, like anti-aging medicine one. So I went out and just kind of went to a lot and just kind of got all the education I can and, you know, started our practice, basically. So to answer your question, I think what you were saying was more on the eastern side. If they say, hey, just slap some turmeric on something. Yeah, exactly. You know, the thing is, it's not just a slap turmeric. Again, you have to, what I have to, what I always say is you have to first, if you're going to do any type of care with any kind of patient, you have to put your physician hat on and look and make sure you're not hurting the patient first and foremost. Okay, what are you doing? If you're slapping on turmeric, what is it? Is there a reason why you're doing that in the first place? Or are you just, again, nothing against any discipline. I love every single discipline because they bring something educationally to us, right? Yeah. But you want to know at that point, you know, I put my medical hat on and go, okay, is it a cut? What's going on? What do we need? Why are we going to do the turmeric there? Yeah. It has its reason. You can slap on turmeric there, but it just has to kind of make sense. You, get you what know I what mean? it is? It's like the, I guess it's like an, um, 
not not only in Armenian, but I think it's a foreign cultural thing where, for example, you hurt a muscle in your leg. They say, oh, you know what? They take some meat. You put it on there. <laughs> they say, oh, it pulls the pain away. It's havakashuma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's stuff like that. I mean, nowadays you listen to it. It's kind of like, it's so silly. It's like that, that meat, it is, it's, not, uh, it's not a medicine. I mean, how is it? No, you under, but what you also have to understand, culturally, like our grandparents um, and their grandparents, they learned a lot from the land itself, right? Like all our grandparents, if you ask exactly. them, they go and like grandma's boiling something to bring their blood pressure down, right? So it's like kind of innate in us culturally. Yeah. In yeah. Sense. So Four that was, that was also yeah. part of me in a sense where they put turmeric and egg and hit it up <laughs> and kind of put it on a little bruise or something, yeah. right? So we're kind of culturally involved with naturopathic medicine, yeah. right? So, um, again, it's all about patient outcome. So, for example, now what we do is, like I said, we integrate all the aspects of medicine. For example, if a patient's coming in and let's say their complaint is diabetes. Mm-hmm. Okay? So a patient has diabetes, for yes. example. So, at, this is the time when you said you slap on like a tumor. Right? <laughs> you're not going to do anything You're not going to do it, right? So you have to look at the markers. Is there already insulin sensitivity being created, okay? So is there a glucose problem? Is What's going on here, okay? You, what you have to do is you have to make sure that when they run a blood panel, for example, they're not only looking at A1C. They're looking at A1C. They're looking at insulin, pro-insulin, okay? They're looking at insulin resistance. They're looking at leptin. So there's... There's, it's a lot more complex than just kind of looking at one factor, which is called A1C, hemoglobin A1C, to determine if, oh, if this person has, for example, diabetes or doesn't have diabetes, okay? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot more uh, than looking into that because then what that could do is let you know if this person's already built a lot of insulin resistance, what is going to be the outcome first? Are we going to put them on metformin? Or do we have a chance of making some lifestyle changes to first see in the first within the three months? Do we make a difference there, okay? So a lot of the aspect is when you look at conventional medicine or urgent care or hospital setting, it's very fast-paced. So the doctors, you know, again, because this is the way the system is, it's not necessarily the doctor to blame, but it's, you know, they look at it. This is how it is. This is what the A1C is. Okay, metformin, 500 milligrams twice a day, for example. Okay, that's kind of the algorithm. But when you look on the integrative side, is first and foremost, does the patient want to take some responsibility and make some changes in their life Mm -hmm. to kind of help me do the alternative side? Okay, so as a doc, you have to already realize at that point, who is the patient sitting in front of you? Are you going to be able to kind of put this one, two, three things together to try to kind of change their lifestyle and make them kind of help bring down that factor, the insulin sensitivity factor, or no, that person, you're going to do more harm at that moment by giving them an herb, you know? So you got to go to the medication there. So it is difficult, but that's all on my shoulders because of the responsibilities that I have. And believe it or not, you know, I don't, you know, I rather l- use the least medication that I can to treat anybody. But there are certain circumstances where you have to, because what's going to happen is you're putting yourself in a position that the patient might not follow through and at the end of the day become a risk for themselves. And at the end of the day, that's on you. That's on your shoulders. You know? So you have to be careful there too, depending on what you're doing. In essence, I mean, the relationship you're building with your patients is kind of like a marriage. Both sides have to be working together to kind of make it work. Not in all cases. Now, what do you do in the case you got a patient coming in that's wanting help, but they don't want to put in the work? How much of that? That's what I was trying to get to. That's what I'm saying. So you got to be able to kind of already 
as you Judge do the, your as you do your consult and look at who the patient is. First and foremost, do a full thorough, like for example, we do about an hour long consult initially, so I can get all the basics of your health, your lifestyle, what's going on. So we can kind of do a actual program for you that works. But if we do this along the way, I go like, no, this guy is not going to put in the work. He doesn't want to do this. His his numbers are at a point where, you know, at that point it becomes a liability, okay? Because you know that that patient is not going to make those changes, but I'm still going to push for it. Okay. Now, what do you do in those but cases? You, you, do you know, go it, to conventional you medicine. Have to, yeah, you have to do that because at the end of the day, imagine you don't, and that patient goes home, and then it comes back. Now the A one C is let's just say fifteen. Okay. <sighs> yeah. See, so it, you know, you have to. This is kind of some of the things that go into our side of medication because of the broad responsibilities that we have. Okay, a lot of times, like you mentioned, sometimes the things that give these type of like herbs or homeopathy or some of these medications, like the wrong name or oh that doesn't work is because it's just there is specific diseases where you can't just throw an herb and make the change right there's going to be the lifestyle factor there's going to be a lot of things that go into it to be able to make that change okay so again it's it's a lot broader it's not very simple and it's case by case it's case by case okay mm -hmm. always so one person and the other person is not the same it's individualized medicine so all four of us here are going to be different when we look internally, we might have the same physiology, but the way it works, okay, it's going to be different. It's completely going to be different based on your lifestyle. What are you exposed to environmentally? Okay, so there's a lot what of health issues you've already course, had, what you've of, gone through. Of course, of course. Again, these are all the things that you touch on to kind of get the best care for your. Again, at the end of the day, your patient is the is your responsibility, and it's going to be what primary you do. point of your view exactly to give them the best outcome and treatments. The good thing is, because I sit on more of the concierge side of medicine, we get to kind of um, not necessarily experiment, but we get to use all the new things that are coming along in medicine, okay? So, like I said, I'm really big on anti-aging medicine or peptide therapy, okay? I'm not sure if the, um, you know, if the uh, audience knows what peptides are. Just give you a couple of examples. So, peptide is basically um, built with amino acids when there are 50 amino acids together mm -hmm. or less, it's a peptide greater than 50. It's a protein, like you guys know, okay? So one of the biggest peptides is insulin, right? Mm. Of course. So, uh, but there's a lot of peptides on the market that the FDA had regulations on that didn't allow it to come into market because they were scared with a lot of um, getting into the wrong hands of athletes because we can use peptides to enhance, for example, growth hormone, right? Mm -hmm. So this comes into the anti-aging side of medicine. The reason why we love peptides, for example, is that its, its effect or its mechanism of action is very different than hormone therapy, which we'll get into, okay? Hormones have a direct influence on your nucleus because they can enter a cell, okay, a biological cell. And what happens there is if you give a hormone to a patient that doesn't have self-control in a sense, they can really hurt themselves, okay, because they're going to keep, for example, testosterone. Yeah. They're going to keep going back at it, even if though we say take, let's just say, 200 milligrams that once that week, they're going to keep doing it, doing it, doing it, and they're going to constantly get the action. The difference between peptides, are, which I love, is that they work actually on the outside of a cell, which means that they bind to a receptor on the surface of the cell and cause a change internally. If you overdo it, the cell is so smart, it down-regulates the receptors on the cell. So what it does is you're no longer going to get the effect. So if I give you, for example, that vial and mm -hmm. say take 
this many units once weekly and you don't listen to the doc and you go and start doing more, the you're not going to get the... You're the not gonna the get cell's going to kind of realize what's going on, yes, so it'll mutate and kind of... It's going to stop the signal. No, it, yes. won't, it won't take it in anymore. It's, it's just... not... It's going to downregulate receptors. This is what's beautiful about peptide therapy in the future because by 2023, there's a lot of areas that peptides are going to be basically used for, like cancer therapy as well, okay? Uh, but the biggest ones we use for is anti-aging. So I use the peptides to increase growth hormone, in a sense, okay? So as men and women, mm-hmm. um, over after 35 years old, you know, our growth hormone goes down, okay? And when you think about what is anti-aging in reality, like what is anti-aging? When people talk about what is anti-aging. So anti-aging, it's do you not, guys know it, what it it's, is? It's not the, people, it's not the Botox, it's not the, <laughs> the nose jobs, the chin implants, it's actually... I'll tell you. So anti-aging, if, um, if my memory is correct, about 1870, um, physicians, what they did was they took two mice, an old mice and a young mice. Uh-huh. And they just took a first layer of the skin, like the dermis, of the both, and they tied it together. Like they basically sutured it together, an old mice and a young mice. This was okay. done back 150 years ago. And they noticed at that time that the, the old mice was beginning to look young and the young mice was beginning to look, look old. old. Okay. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very interesting case, and this experiment has done been done over and over and over and over again. At that time, they didn't have the technology to look internally to see, hey, what's going on. Now we know that with the young mice, okay, there is a increase in IGF one, which is basically increasing growth hormone. Okay, there's factors like again exosomes, which we'll talk about in the blood, that's giving that youth aspect to the old mouse okay? okay whenever you go to these anti-aging <laughs> conferences that's the first thing they show you you know like okay we get enough of it but that was when everything sparked okay when this interest got on about 1930s 1940s to figure out what's going on here because they kept doing the experiment and coming up with the same cl- conclusion but science wasn't advanced to really look at micro uh, markers in the blood to see what can we kind of look at how can we manipulate that mm-hmm. and how can we use it for humans correct that's like i mean goal. you're talking about 1800s here 1870 yeah 150 years ago but then around 1930s 1940s more research was done okay more research done more research done then we kind of isolated some of these markers that we can look at and say hey is there a possibility to put like a treatment for this okay like to put something what we can use to help you so then more research, more research, more research. Around 1980s, it kind of took off, okay, the whole uh, anti-aging medicine. And it started with a lot with hormone replacement because peptides weren't as common. So people went to the testosterone, the growth hormone itself, to increase that. And in turn, some did great, some did bad because they were not looking at their own markers, checking it, making sure everything is well. They were just kind of doing testosterone, 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 yeah. and increasing their testosterone without actual guidance by physicians, okay? So what you have to do whenever we talk about anti-aging is you first have to look at labs, okay? You first have to look at what are some lab-specific markers that you can look at and how can we enhance those markers, okay? So what I look at personally is your total testosterone, your free testosterone, your LH, which is from the pituitary, a hormone. Mm -hmm. I look at IGF-1. I look at human growth hormone. I look at pregnenolone. DHEA, so I get the whole cascade of your hormones, okay? And this is all through one... Yeah, it's just like blood, blood work, basically. Blood work, simple blood work, okay? We Typi- need to... Typically, in, in the conventional world, when you ask your doctor, hey, um, I want a testosterone check, they <coughs> typically do total testosterone, which doesn't mean anything to me because total 
is literally just telling you how much of testosterone is in the blood, in the system. It's not really telling you how much is bioavailable. So we need to look at free testosterone, okay? So you always want to make sure that if total is done, make sure free is done, okay? Uh -huh. Then the question comes along, when if you do get a result back and it's low, is it because of a primary issue? Like, is it the source where it's making testosterone the problem, like the testes, for example? Mm -hmm. Or is it an issue from the pituitary, the signal? So therefore, you always want to include LH in there as well, luteinizing hormone, okay? To see if it's a primary versus a secondary deficiency, okay? Then it could guide you. So once I get that and all these markers together, I kind of sit down and go, what is going to be the best approach for this? What I first go to is my favorite is peptides. Okay, for example, if we have an individual right, right now, if one of you had hypothetically like IGF-1 that's low, uh -huh. growth hormone that's low, possibly testosterone that's low, what I would do is initially, instead of going straight to growth hormone because of its cost and just, again, we want to try to increase your normal growth hormone prior to giving you a hormone, okay? So what we do is we go to something called CJC1295 ipimoralin. It's just the name of a growth hormone. But this is actually a peptide that increases growth hormone. So it's basically put in a little, um, little category called secretagogues. So they're growth hormone secretagogues. So they signal to your pituitary to increase growth hormone naturally. So we put you on this protocol for about six weeks, and we see what kind of outcomes we get. Okay. Now, before this, uh, people were actually, for example, you were saying, okay, the testosterone is low. You guys before, are giving testosterone. Yeah, before before this, they were just before the guy's the, testosterone might have been high. They just kept again. Growth hormone therapy and testosterone therapy has been around for have been around for a while. Okay, but with cost as well because growth hormone is really expensive. You know, it wasn't accessible to a lot of people, okay? But there was a lot of people that still did it, okay? They got it from different countries. They'd still get it from places. And they went into these type of therapies not really knowing the full science and not having someone really manage their care, okay? Yep. The most important thing that I want everybody to take away from this is that whatever you do, even if you're doing that or not, you want to make sure that your care is managed because when you get on these type of therapies, you need at least every three months labs to see what's going on if there's issues to back off, to increase, to decrease. So you can't start on this therapy and just continue on every day and go, okay, it's anti-aging. I'm going to start it at 35 and just continue doing it. Okay? Now, you're talking about anti-aging and stuff as far as testosterone. What about like some of these athletes that take testosterone? Yes. Is that the same type of testosterone that you guys would cho that you guys would use for anti-aging or Yes. So if we're going to get to testosterone, we it's the same it's the testosterone sipinate. It's the same thing. So athletes technically can't use testosterone, okay? Yes. Because it's a banned substance. It's a steroid but, basically. Yes, yes. It's a banned substance, but athletes could get around using peptides. Because what peptides do is they're not supposed to because it's still some of them are on the WADA list mm -hmm. of uh, you can't performance enhancers. Yeah. But it's very h hard to detect these. That's why the federal government had a problem of, with peptides early on in the 1950s. Okay. Um, there was a lot being used, but they really stopped the production. So compounding pharmacies have to make it now. Regular pharmacies don't even have it. Like you can't call your regular pharmacy, CVS, and want, for example, a specific growth hormone. Over pharmacy. the counter. You can't. <laughs> you have to get it through a compounding pharmacy. Now, what happens is, let's say uh, you get a patient that comes to you. Do you send them out for that test or 
they go to their primary that sends them out with that. No, test. no. We take uh, again if it's if it's coming to me, we take basically every insurance except Kaiser to run blood tests. Okay, um, we I, depending on what the needs is. If they're coming in for straight anti aging. We, I run all the panel, but we want to make sure that the way we look at it is not only your hormones, but we look at your red blood cells because there's a lot of other factors that if you are on the treatment, it affects other parts. So you want to make sure you get a full holistic approach on the patient before you put them on any kind of treatment. Okay, So they, it's not like, hey, doc, I'm going to come and get testosterone. It doesn't work like that. Okay, So a lot of times, and when, we, when I look, I look at our 25 to about 35. Let's take that population, okay? 25, age 25 to 35. 35. It's, it's really, really, uh, how do I say this? It's when, we, when, when I look at my overall patient population and in that age range, you would never expect to see the amount, the levels of testosterone that I see, which is kind of crazy. You know, you see guys in the 250s, 300s, you know, like 25 years old, 26 years old. What is it supposed to be at? You know, about 750, 800. So it's, oh, wow. So, you know, again, depending on what you're trying to accomplish, we're not trying to get here and give everybody testosterone to turn them into Hulk, like 2,000. Okay? Yeah. We don't want that's not healthy. But I'm talking about just in general, if you look exponentially from like 1970s, testosterone has gone down, okay? Then you have to ask yourself kind of the biggest question why? there is why, right? Why, do, why has it gone down, okay? There's environmental influences, okay? There's a lot of estrogenic things that we touch, like plastics. So I don't know the right answer to that, but I just know that throughout that time... I've heard of something looking. else related to that. I've heard that birth control, being in our waters, is, has a lot to do with it. There's a lot That's of estrogen in, in a lot Sorry. of our food. I mean, well. don't mean I don't know how to comment don't on make that. It, <laughs> look, look at it this way. If you take, if you take a 70-year-old right now from the Mediterranean, let's say yeah. wherever you want, take your, take your own right. fathers, for example. Don't be surprised if you test his testosterone. Much higher. It'll be much higher than a 25-year-old that was raised Definitely. here. Like I believe you. They'll, it, they'll yeah. be at six, seven, eight hundred possibly, but a 25-year-old that was born and raised here may have, like he said, a 250. 300. Again, it'd be great to look at it and analyze it from like an outside of U.S. perspective and look at it from a U.S. perspective, okay? I get to look at it from all the patients that we have, young and old. Because there comes a time when we talk about, when I say anti-aging, there comes a time where father time catches up, okay? So your growth hormone is going to go down, your, estrogen, your testosterone is going to go down. I'm talking about men, okay? And specifically andropause versus menopause with women, correct? Yeah. So there's going to be a, a time where you're going to have to kind of take the efforts necessary to bring this up because low testosterone has been kind of associated with cardiovascular risk factors, okay? So it's, there's a lot of studies that are coming out and showing that, you know, you rather, if you're managed properly, your testosterone around seven, 800 is excellent to keep it there, okay? And what, what, what thing we don't want to say is we always want to go to a natural route first, right? What increases testosterone right away? Do you guys know? I have no idea. Muscle? Exercise. Yeah. So big muscle groups like quads and glutes, okay? Obviously, if you're sitting at like 350, the first most natural thing to do is see if you can raise it yourself, correct? We got to talk about that too. Yeah. You don't want to just jump into things, right? Of course not. So the first thing you have to do is we always have squats, but you have to be careful again, lower back. You want to make sure your technique is correct, right? Of squats course. and working on your glutes and you're a lot with big muscle groups, okay? And your quads. Typically, if the patient really is serious and goes and does activity and becomes about three times a week, they're doing some exercise, we see a boost, okay? Again, this is uh, the first 
way you can do it yourself the most natural way possible. But as we age, that possibility goes down and much down more difficult. And down and down, exactly. Yeah, you need much help. You need Again, supplements for that. <laughs> you need help. And <clears throat> believe it or not, you know, I've tried a lot of different supplements itself on patients. The testosterone response is not amazing, like to increase testosterone with some of these herbs that we have. It's well, not I mean, really great. It works, but not a lot, like 50, 60 points, 75 points. Yeah. Well, I mean, the difference between taking an actual pill and going out there and actually doing a squat or a lunge or a, you know, some, some sort of physical exercise, I mean, it kind of yeah, speaks for but, itself. But it's the holistic approach. See, the, the problem with medicine here is that it's symptom management. It's not medicine. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So your knee hurts? All right, great. We'll give you a cortisone uh, shot or Norco or whatever, Vicodin, whatever's going to work. That's symptom management. Stomach hurts, take some Pepto-Bismol mm -hmm. or antacid, whatever it happens to be. That's putting a Band-Aid on the problem. But the differences with integrative medicine is, well, why do you have stomach ache? Why do you have the new knee, knee so pain? Why? Is it because you're overweight? Is it because you fell? Is it because you have a problem somewhere else? Why is your kidney this? Why is your liver that? That's the approach that mm -hmm. integrative medicine takes, which is to, to treat the root cause, not just symptom manage symptom manage you can come to my office and i could symptom manage you too anybody can do that that's True. i mean no disrespect to medicine but that's the easiest oh your knee hurts all right great let's put a lidocaine yeah. patch and give I you mean, some norco again segue into like prp when we were talking about earlier yeah on, literally right? that's what PRP. i want to talk about so when you say symptom you know symptom management okay typically in cases like that what are we taught you know you give a kenalog shot like a steroid shot mm -hmm. right and then PRP comes along, amazing stuff, platelet-rich plasma, yeah. which we harvest from the blood, process it, and basically we give the platelets back into a joint with an ultrasound guidance, of course. And that's a half-hour process, yeah, four about to five I mean, minutes. Yeah. You know, I usually tell, say about an hour. Okay, you know, an hour, well, yeah. I do it because you want an ultrasound. Yeah, you don't want to do, you don't, with these type of things, you don't want to rush again. Again, it's about doing it right. So you got to be prepared to come in, you know, get the blood drawn. Then there's a processing time and of then course. there's an injectable time, right? Yeah. But, you know, again, about 30 years ago, even on the conventional side, you know, they were, they were laughing, for example, at PRP. Like, what, what is this? What could it do, right? But now we see the possibilities in the last 10 years. You know, it's exploded. Uh, it's amazing. The, the, there's growth factors inside PRP that stimulate healing. So what's more natural than using yourself to heal itself? Exactly. Right? Like that's kind of the best, best example I could say. But it's used in multitude of areas. So we can use it for OA, osteoarthritis. You don't necessarily want to use it for RA, rheumatoid arthritis, where there's already an inflammatory process, which is an autoimmune disease. You, in OA, it works great. Well, okay. see, let me ask you that. As far as with autoimmune, uh, autoimmune is basically when the body is attacking the body, yes, right? Yes, yes. So with autoimmune diseases, whether it's for, uh, call it alopecia or call it for, you know, like you, what you were just talking about, will PRP help with that at all? No. So this is the thing. In autoimmune, I mean, I don't want to jump from one topic to the other, but in autoimmune situation, you don't want to, because PRP itself, which we're going to talk, we're talking about right now, is pro-inflammatory in nature. Okay. So oh, it goes against so it's, the, it's, it's almost what you're taught. It goes against that because what we want to do is it's the opposite. Exactly. Yeah. Like in a conventional setting, for example, you have, you tore a ligament or, you know, partial tear. Rotator cuff. Any, you know, the first step is you're going to get a Kenalog shot or something similar. It's a steroid, okay? Yeah. And what does that do? In nature, it's taking, pushing your immune system away from it, yeah. right? But when we look at long-term data, what we see is when they keep getting these shots, actually the joint is deteriorating even more. I've heard it actually softens it. 
The bone yes. itself. So is it something you never do? I wouldn't say that. Like acute versus chronic. This is how you have to kind of distinguish it, okay? Because if you have like trigger finger, for example, acutely you might use the uh, mm. steroid, okay? But long term, you, you don't want to you don't want to kind of rely on that as your main option, okay? So the growth hormone, uh, the sorry, the PRP. What's amazing is it has growth factors within it, so it's a pro-inflammatory thing versus anti-inflammatory, and it stimulates the healing process. And what we do is we. M- I've kind of moved away from just PRP. I add PRP with exosomes, okay, which we'll get into a little later. It's stem cell byproducts, um, and we get amazing results. You can use it in joints. People use it for hair. We do it for hair. I mean, you guys have heard about vampire facials. They use it for facial rejuvenation, mm-hmm. yeah. all these type of things. <laughs> so, can you explain <laughs> that one again? That's it's uh, you give yourself a natural facelift. Yeah, it's basically what it is. It's Literally. We use a micro pen, okay, that creates abrasions all over the face okay, okay? and it's it sounds like crazy but it's you know again we numb the face and then we use this micro pen put abrasions like almost little cuts all over yeah. the face and then what we do is we add a layer of prp so this stimulates collagen growth okay so you're kind of getting a how do i say new tightening of the skin okay obviously it has its limitations of but course it, you know it works great but it has it like just like everything else has its limitations and no scarring great. at the end of no, 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 no 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 scarring no. best is like i said joints it's amazing for joints again for tendons and ligaments and sprains like that i like something called prolotherapy it's been around forever it's from the 60s and stuff it's actually dextrose which is sugar. It's mm-hmm. like sugar water. And it's on sugar water with lidocaine with, some, uh, with a little bit of anesthetic. And this is actually, again, a pro-inflammatory process that actually is better for ligamental situations. Mm-hmm. But muscular and joint, uh, PRP is superior. But PRP has its limitations as well, just like everything else, okay? And then after PRP came along stem cells, and then from stem cells we got exosomes, which we can get into. Um, Before we get into exosomes, there's a question that I sure. think may be related. Actually, there's a comment and a question. Um, Arnold's comment is that his uh, wife saw a nutritionist and got blood work done, testing for markers that aren't normally tested and was able to get the right homeopathic medicine to allow her body to heal itself. So after a year, the hormones she tested for went from concerning level to normal, and it's opened his eyes to homeopathy. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Oh, we, don't even, we should get into I mean, you know, homeopathy is such a crazy field, and... They quickly, you're, if you mention homeopathy, you're a quack. Like it's, <laughs> it's the funniest well, thing. I it's, I'll tell you. So I it think works. to me, not even that. If it works, they're so going to say So let's that. go back to the history. I like to start yeah. off with everything with the history. About 1880s or something like that, Dr. Samuel Hahnemann. He was an actual physician, an mm-hmm. physician. He got so sick of what they were using at that time, okay, which was at that time conventional mm-hmm. medicine ha- was actually we would use mercury and poisoning. And so, you know, they again... <laughs> You don't blame them, but it's just kind of at that system that medical allopathic time, that's medicine was being developed. And Dr. Samuel Hahnemann, I think, was way ahead of this time, okay? Because what you have to understand is this guy, quantum mechanics and quantum physics, like, weren't even around at this time, okay? Yeah. Max Planck was probably young at that time. Uh, but what happened is he noticed that he said, okay, how, could, how, how about if we take these crude substances of these poisons, for example, mercury, arsenic, okay, and we dilute them. So the core of homeopathy, this is where in the medical world they don't understand it or they kind of brush it off, is because looking at it scientifically, you're taking a crude thing. Let's just say we take mercury, okay, and there's a specific process where you're succussing it, meaning 
your move the movement that you do with it okay how many repetitive movements that you do cause the strength so if you ever look at a homeopathic remedy you'll see 30c 200c 1m 10m lm there's different kinds of dose that's how much dilutions it occurred so this is the thing this is where again i'll explain to you how conventional medicine kind of doesn't understand it is because after you so I'll check it out right now. OBS should be okay. We're, we're, up, we're up and running. Keep, keep, we're up and running. <laughs> yeah. so, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, up, I think the question was, what is LM, So that's just the amount of dilutions that that original molecule was diluted with, okay? So after 6X, uh-huh. okay, there's no longer um, any actual physical matter left in that dilution. Therefore, it's past Avogadro's number, and therefore in the medical world, there's, it doesn't exist. That's okay. They say now, it's a Al- sugar pill. Now that Avogadro's number that you're talking about, what what is that? N- it's the physic, like how how the lowest number we can measure physically in the physical reality. Reality, okay, matter. I We're, see. We can get into Any, that anything too, anything smaller than that. They can't <laughs> test they it, can't test, and it's literally nothing. So you're basically they're telling you that they're selling you a sugar pill. Okay, so that's why they brush it off. But the interesting thing is in France, they've done multiple studies here. So one of the things that they've used to kind of not to completely approve homeopathy is that they've taken, for example, two Petri dishes. You know what a Petri dish is when we grow culture? on Yes. Mm -hmm. So they've taken a Petri dish. They've grown a bacteria on it. Okay, and then they wiped off the bacteria and just had the Petri dish with the original bacteria on it. Mm -hmm. Then they diluted it to the millionth degree okay where there's nothing left they kept cleaning it and then they've taken another petri dish empty petri dish they've grown that same bacteria on both petri dishes okay and the one that had that previous remnants of that bacteria Mm -hmm. thrived so the idea is that there is some sort of dna component that is still in that water molecule that we just can't comprehend this is where quantum physics is coming along to show the energy aspect of medication, and this okay. is this is basically what you're talking about as far as it's such a small molecule, yeah. where it's it, it's still there. It's yeah, but if you go to, for example, an M dose or an LM dose, there's nothing. It's it's pure vibrational, and this is why, again, if you mention homeopathy in the medical world, it's like it's a quack. Okay, like what is he talking about? There's nothing in there that we can measure. But you're okay. saying all aspects together. But they were saying that same together, thing with sense. matter, right? So now we know that the photon could be a light and a wavelength and a proton and a and a and an atom at the same time, right? Depends on how you look at it, right? So we're not going to dive into physics today. No, no, it no. It just no, opens no. up the door to questions. Well, we do right? have do one I question. No, wait, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask him. Hey, we have to ask I'm gonna the ask him. listeners. We, we had we had we, last week we were talking about physics, okay? Now. Does ago. was it two weeks ago? It was last week. Was it last? It was Please last don't week. do this to yourself. I'm gonna Please, know. Man. I want to ask him. Don't, don't embarrass ask him. yourself now, again phys- on the show. Phy- again? From what I understand, is physics is a very, very uh, high level of math and atoms and mass and all that stuff. Now, does <laughs> physics incorporate? Does physics have anything to do with algebra? Oh my God! Okay, yes. You know what? Listen, this is the this is the thing. It's not about algebra or not. Why'd it's not about that? Let me tell you this. I quit. <laughs> Today's my last show. <laughs> I want to thank the watchers. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. No, I'm sorry. no, it's not even about the algebra. Again, there's different ways to look at physics. There's phys- there's theoretical physicists that all they do is they don't do the math. They're just thinking like I, they're kind of postulating a hypothesis like coming up with like why do things fall when they used to do it right gravity yeah that, see that's what i thought and then there's was. the mathematicians who put these people's theories okay so it depends into on what testing it you need testing. the algebra to so test the, the physics of it, to bro. prove 
your physics. Let's just say you're a physicist, theoretical physicist. Yes. You come up with this complex idea, and okay. now you want to test it. Who are you going to go to? You're going to go to a mathematician <laughs> to put the proof together to make See, sure that's that... that's what I'm confused about. As far as, okay, like... Uh, <laughs> Let's not... When, Arnold, no, no, no. We'll talk about this <laughs> in I private after Why this. Why not? Because you're going to go half an hour into it. No, we're not going to go half an hour. It's like right five now. minutes, bro. Okay, the, see, what I what I originally thought about physics was, okay, What whatever goes up must come down. The mass, <laughs> the atoms, <laughs> all that but stuff. You're talking about the, uh, the universal laws that gro- govern us here. Okay, so like if you put something down and it falls, there's gravity on Earth, right? But if you pass the orbit, there's no gravity. Right? Correct. So what works here is considered laws. So in physics, there's specific laws that if you drop a ball, it's going to fall. Okay? Correct. But the idea is someone had this thought and the mathematicians get to put the formula together so that's how we have all these things that we use so is it is it algebra based it's not it's algebra not algebra based, based. I'm just talking about you, math. we said is there algebra in physics yes end of story don't is it so algebra based it's just algebra. i said there's no algebra in physics no, 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 no. i said there's no algebra in physics that's what i said no okay. no no let's get let's give like the doctor a heads, heads up so basically he was comparing apples and oranges but he said physics and algebra yeah. right okay. so i said hey man Physics and algebra have a lot in common. You can't say that. I, I would forget about that. What I would yeah. do if I were you, I'd go get a blood test and your head examined by Dr. <laughs> Malikian first because you're seriously, you got to let things go. I, do, I am letting, letting it go. You don't let I it just go. understand the, you don't let it go. the aspect of you need. Oh okay, you have to have math to kind of put together your Of course. Yeah, no, 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 of course. But it's, it's not, not algebra. It's not algebra. My, my thing was... My thing was there's no algebra. Right. I said it's, it's a very high thing, level of math. You don't belong in that thing. You're a realtor. Stick to real estate. So Jenny so, has a question for you, Dr. Question. Malikian. Uh, he says, uh, I'm sorry. She says, um, are you able to help women with high T and perimenopause? Yes, we have to get into that topic as well. Because is it high T or she said low T and perimenopause? High T. Okay, yes. So what we have to do is... Talking about perimenopause. What let's is talk, perimenopause? Let's get into, like, we talk, kept talking about testosterone. Yes. Ignoring the one. There is menopause, right? So where the cycles stop, estrogen gets depleted, progesterone gets depleted. The signal from the brain still goes to the ovaries, but the ovaries no longer produce the hormones. So typically how we look at this diagnostically is from your last period, once a full year has passed, then we could diagnose you with menopause. When we talk about perimenopause is where you're still having cycles maybe after two months or three months. Mm. So the best way to answer that question is it would be great to look at FSH, LH, if you're writing it down. Um, look at those from the pituitary. Prolactin I would look at as well. Testosterone, free testosterone. Is free testosterone high? I don't know. Uh, pregnenolone, DHEA. I would look at this, start from here. Again, estrogen you want to do as well, and progesterone as well. It's to see exactly where you are, uh, and we can definitely help you. I don't know, write it down so you can check all that for yourself, too. <laughs> but it's a huge, this is another, I mean, kind of, we're talking about this. Let's, let's mention this. There is a lot of misconceptions, specifically culturally, related to hormones. Because if it's someone, for example, um, Armenian, mm-hmm. uh, the first thing that when they hear hormone is they hear cancer. 
okay? They yes. say, hey, I'm not going to, no, 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 that, that, that causes cancer. That's the biggest misconception, okay? Specifically in perimenopause or menop- when you go through menopause. If you're going through menopause and 10 years have passed by, you're no longer a bioidentical hormone candidate. So what is bioidentical hormones? They're hormones that are made from wild yams. So they're bioidentical, just like our hormones. They're yes. not synthetic ones, okay? I'm never for synthetic hormones. Either way, I don't even like birth control either uh, because it has a lot of effects. We see a lot of PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, due to uh, uh, possible relations to um, women on long-term birth control, okay? Yeah, I mean... So what the biggest thing there to understand is bioidentical hormones versus regular hormones, okay? So again, bioidentical hormones are... they The compounding pharmacy gets it from wild yam, okay? So the source is Yam, like the, the yes, plant? Yam. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vegetable? Yeah. Well, it's really? not a vegetable. Is it's it a root? fruit? It's a root, okay. So it's, it's from wild yam. It's, it's, a, it's, it's just like our uh, estrogens. And te- there is, again, so at that point, what you want to do is specifically with perimenopause or menopause, it's not necessarily anti-aging in that effect. What you want to know is that at that time when estrogens deplete, it affects your bone health specifically. That's why we always order a DEXA scan in the fi- when around women around 55, uh, up to 65, to make sure that the density of the bones is well. There's no osteopenia going on. Okay, so when you do bioidenticals in that circumstance, you help with hot flashes, okay? You help with bone health. You help with cardiovascular health. And at the, at the end of the day, you don't even need to start there. There's also herbs that you can use, okay, that could help with some of the symptoms, hot flash symptoms, okay? That's, so That's the main concern with women, again, bro. The hot flash uh, is the but, main but point, it's, But again, it's the, the misconception with hormones is huge. I mean, I get these questions all the time. And the, and the biggest thing is we don't want to push hormones. That's not the, pro, the point. The point is you always have to ask your doctor, why are we doing this? Okay, what's going on? What is the outcomes? What, why are we putting this specific program together? And what are we looking for? What are the measuring factors? Okay, And that's the discussion you should have with your doctor. And your doctor should be open to discussions. Okay, Again, this is one of the problems that I see in, in, our, in our medical world is that Doctors don't like to explain, or they're overwhelmed. It's not even their fault sometimes. Well, okay? like you said, you see six to eight people, but yeah. majority of the doctors you speak to practicing... 70 people a day. No, but well, I mean, not 70, no, not but 70, 25, but 30. I mean, that's if still you a go lot. Into, no, because if you go into a network, for example, okay, if you go into one of the insurance networks, you have no choice. They se- You become part of the platform, and they sell. Send they it send you when the When you patients, create yeah. yourself, a lot of doctors are moving into my model now. A lot, okay, where it's cash and insurance based as well. Together. Together. Yes. Because some of these things that we talk about, we want to do, right? We can't get insurance coverage for it. At, not at the moment, okay? Some of the things we can, like, again, insurance authorizes testosterone, for example, that you can get. But, um, you can't get, for example, bioidentical hormones <coughs> being covered, okay? So there's also the financial aspect of some of these treatments, okay, that comes into play. Yeah. Same thing with PRP. I think Medicare has a code now, but typically um, these, cover, these therapies are not, majority of them are not covered, okay? So that's already a, that already becomes a burden to the success of you and your patient, right? You want to make sure that whatever you're doing, it's not a huge financial burden on your patient, so therefore, you got to, again, look at, again, as a doc, you got to look at all the different variables. Now, whatever is covered by Medi-Cal, Medicare, or any type of insurance, mm-hmm. whatever is covered, is that enough of a base for the customer to 
want to come back the second or third treatment, sixth treatment. Of course, it depends on what the... So and is it worth it for you? Are they paying enough for you to do your... Again, my main thing is I love what I do. That's the bottom line. This is, my, this is my passion. What I do is fun. Like, I love doing what... I could go into urgent care and do work there and be miserable, for example. Okay, that's not what I do. Like, I love what I do. I could see 12 people. I could see 10 people. I get to choose how many people I get to see in a day uh, and keep my patient population... Again, educated. We get a lot of doctors, lawyers, or we get a lot of patients that are super, super educated in their field that gravitate towards medicine, educate themselves, and they come and have a conversation with me. Okay? Hey, doc, this is what it is. This is what I have. How can we enhance this? How can we take this and make it better? Okay? This isn't the medicine is for everybody, education is for everybody. If we can educate you on kind of what to look out for, the next generation, they're going to be healthier because you're going to educate your kids. Yeah. Okay? And your kids are going to be educated. You know, again, our parents came from another country. Whatever they did, we're thankful for. Uh, but we're this new generation. We have so much more to give to our kids, right? Food allergies you could check for kids. Make sure there's no celiac issue going on. Gluten sensitivity. Again, you want to make sure as a parent as well, you're observing your child. Okay, you want to make sure that if something is coming up, it's not like hey, hey, nothing will happen. It's okay, it's okay. Like go, you you want to look at all these avenues and make sure that you're doing the best yeah. that you can to kind of optimize their health and their future. Absolutely. I mean, there's kids nowadays where they have food allergies, and those food allergies lead to uh, eczemas or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like they can't they can't have any no, dairy, they can't course. have any egg, they can't have any. Uh, Anything that might cause a reaction. Yeah, I always tell the parents, especially with newborns, think about it. You know, the the sterility of the gut, once the baby is born, again, and another huge topic is that we very highly encourage women to breastfeed until six months, at least six months, because the research shows that anything less than six months, long-term, they're more prone to IBD, irritable bowel disease, like Crohn's ulcerative colitis, or even IBS, okay? Mm -hmm. So... The milk or that outside source protein is not going to do what nature does, yeah. okay? And and uh, and mom, in a sense. So we always try to educate at least six months, at least six months. In some cases, you know, it's again, it, it doesn't work. But majority, you know, I always preach that at least give about try to six do as months. much as you can. And then talking about that food allergy aspect, think about it. The baby hasn't been introduced to any food, so it's the real. So the gold standard of medicine is not really food allergy testing. It's it's basically it's called an elimination diet. That's the real gold standard in conventional medicine as well. That you avoid a specific food for three months and then you introduce it on an empty stomach to see if you get a reaction. Okay, Ooh, because there's a lot of because there's you know I'm I'm kind of pro. In How long f- is it going to take for uh, you to figure it out? No, like I've had a kid with allergic reaction. No, let me tell we you, th- this know. is where I was getting to. So this is the thing. This is the gold standard because even with food allergies, it's not 100% science. If you go with IgE testing, yes, immediate response. But the IgG and IgA testing, again, you have to kind of take that not as a 100% thing, okay? Because, again, the science is there, but sometimes we see things coming back that the patient really has no, don't have, it doesn't show any signs of allergies, and sometimes we do. That's what I was trying to go to is at six months when you're introducing one food at a time for the child, Mm -hmm. you can kind of mark it down that, you know, you introduce this. Yeah. Did you wait a day or feed that same thing a couple of days and then move on to the next thing and then move on to, so it's like a, it's almost like a science project. So let me ask you this. Are are you, are you kind of saying like, for example, if a child does have a food allergy and you want to see if, if that food is what's causing it, 
wait on an empty stomach, feed so it to them. So you do 90 days. So if you want to go with, if they're six months, if you haven't introduced food yet, well, you're not at an advantage. Now what you can do is start introducing one food at a time uh-huh. and keep a record log of like, did what any of done? the foods, like let's just say you fed it potatoes, for example, or something. That's and then starch two days already. Later, That's many you things, see, just potatoes. You see some sort of rash. I mean, you can put a possible culprit was potatoes, right? But do you think food, two, two, two types of food might cause a reaction? Yes. Yeah, so nightshades, the family of nightshades, which is potatoes, tomatoes, green peppers, are the highly allergenic, right? Just, it just, it's an inflammatory food in yeah. general, okay? So unfortunately, if you've already, your kid's already five or six, you know, you can't go back when they're six months old. What you do is, again, you want to pay attention as a parent to see if certain foods are causing problems or not. Dairy is inflammatory in origin. It doesn't matter if I have allergies to it or not. It increases mucus secretion, which causes inflammation, right? So that's not, there's nothing to argue there. So you want to be observant and see what's going on. Yes, we can use the tools of checking, for example, if they have allergies or not. Yeah. But as a parent, you want to be always observant and see what's going on. I was told see? that I had to get a uh, allergy, for the allergies, they had to do some type of tap testing on the back that at the age of eight and after eight years old. So yeah. that is a diff- that's your waiting. dermatologist does that, okay? But I'm not a big fan of that because that is only checking IgE immune response. You want to make sure you get an IgG and an IgA immune response as well. So IgG is an immunoglobulin that shows delayed inflammatory response. IgA is an immunoglobulin that's directly active in the stomach. So you want to kind of put a plan together to see exactly what's going on, okay? There's a lot of places, you know, a lot of people do a lot of food allergies and this, this, that. It's all about what is right for your patient. That's why I love individualized medicine yeah. because it's not like you're sitting here and all you're doing is the same thing over and over and over and with patients, okay? Like you're just sitting there and doing, because we do a lot of IV therapy, all these things. It's not necessarily like the service-based thing. You want to individualize the service. So your two, three, five, 10, 30, 5,000, 100,000 patients, they're not, no one's on the same similar thing. They're all on what the body needs, what's now, best for them. Let me ask you this. Uh, there's those blood tests that they do where they pull your blood and then they basically diagnose, not diagnose, but they test it and they say, okay, uh, your body type is not supposed to have red meat. You're not supposed to have this. You're not supposed to have that. Is that stuff true? Because I, I feel so like Dr. D'Amato, that's, a, that's, a specific, that's one doc who came up with the idea that blood type diet, that's what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. versus type... Listen, I can't say that's that's not a hundred percent science. It's not, right? No, but there is. If you look at the like what he says as far as like type A's and type B's and AB's and O's, there's a lot of correlation. Okay, mm-hmm. just like uh, horoscopes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you might fit in your horoscope and you might not, right? But in, in general, whatever, some whatever, whatever, whatever tickles your pickle, basically. <laughs> no, but some sign you could read it. You go like, hey, yeah, this is this is kind of me, and this is so. These are all tools that doctors have can use for the best outcome of your patient. Again, there's so many tools out there. You can't be stuck in your head and kind of looking at this situation and be like, no, no, this is exactly how. No, we're, oh, you know, we're in a, we sit in a position where we're almost like scientists. You know, it's education. Yeah. We're trying to enhance our own mind while we're helping people, right? So if you're already putting yourself a block there and you're not, you don't want to learn anymore. I don't like that personally. You know, I always like our patients challenging me yeah. or giving new ideas. And we learn from each other, you know, in a sense, every single day I go to work, I learn something new, yeah. right? So you're never closed off to knowledge. That's like the worst thing. You want to always be humbling to whatever you're teaching your patient. Yeah. Cause I had a friend who basically, he was like, I went to the doctor, did some blood work. He's like, 
He's like, I can't eat any more red meat anymore. Like, what do you mean you can't <laughs> eat any red meat? I'm going to go to another doctor. I'm like, what do you mean you can't eat any red meat? He's like, I just <laughs> can't eat any more red meat. <laughs> I'm like, bro, uh, do you know how many people are on that Mediterranean diet where they just, it's like meats and salads and uh, it's like, what, 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 who told you this? He's like, oh yeah, well, I went to this doctor. He did some blood work. It's great. You should go to him. I'm like, no, thank no, you. No, thanks, man. No, but it's again, think about it. What does that even mean, right? So meat itself it can be pro-inflammatory, correct? Correct. So what you have to do is, again, another tip, like if you are at a doctor's office and they're running blood tests, mm -hmm. make sure they include ESR, okay? It's sed rate for inflammation. HSCRP is another one. Myeloperoxidase is another one. Fibrinogen is <laughs> another gonna one. You're going to remember all of so, I'm not going to remember shit. Again, so That's that, why I keep on <laughs> saying get that CBC bullshit out of the way. So That's this what is everybody the thing. does. In it's a like, conventional setting like CBC, CMP, it's, it's great, but it doesn't really give us too much information. You can ask for this and they should run it. You know, it's, there's yeah. no, this is not like... Uh, like folklore or something like oh my god this is unconventional no these are conventional markers that we keep an eye on hscrp you guys go thorough basically all esr because we so want to why see. don't why don't why doesn't the conventional doctor do is when you they go do. back to your doctor and every time they give you the same test like we were talking before do you know, do you know why? why i'll tell i mean do you, do you know why because this is the thing when you're part of a network you have to follow rules in a sense in a sense your insurance okay. is dictating how the yeah. doctor should practice no one should dictate what i want because that's not the best for my patient, right? Correct. So I, I if I see something for the patient, I order the test through the insurance. So insurance covers all these things. It's just what they it's all about what the cost reduction depending for. on where you are what network you're in what's going on and how many know. visits they want you to go exactly. and how so many, you know yeah. i'm not going to get into all that but yeah. the idea is we can understanding all each these other doctors they can it's not like they're not trained you know, you but know you I, do, I respect uh, and I, I honor all the doctors you know they're doing their their heart is in it hopefully for the for, right reason. For the right reason. And, and, I, and I appreciate every single discipline, okay? I think every single discipline has a play in medicine overall, okay? I see a lot of patients that seen acupuncture has gotten good results. Chiropractors gotten good results. Any, you know, all these alternative Conventional cares, medicine conventional can give you good every, results. So for me, it's like I manage all of that in one box, yeah. okay? So we do all of that. So what's great is I can see, hey, my patient, before I give you an injection, like more of an invasive approach, like we're doing PRP, I say, hey, why don't you try acupuncture? Before you, we inject something into your joint, try the least invasive yeah. thing. I'm not against that. That's all good. That's all medicine, right? So you want to make sure that... When you go to your doctor, try to have a conversation with them. And if they're not willing to listen, change it. Change because 100%. this is the thing. Your doctor is got to be not like your best friend, but it's someone that's guiding you. I look at it as a guide. You have like, to be able to trust them. Yes, but the, and the trust builds by having a communication. Think about it. Before, like in the 60s and the 70s, there was a family doctor, physician, that grew up, knew your mom, knew your dad, like in... You knew know, your own history You knew your history. Now you go, you walk in, it's someone, it's a Joe, and then it's someone else. And it's, it's like these, you know, they, they don't have time. It's not them, to, you know, don't blame them. That's what I always no, tell them. it's a system that's but set up. Do not blame them because it's not their fault. They have a mm. lot of knowledge too, you know. You look at it, they, they, they're in that 15 minutes, they have to quickly look and make sure they're kind of making sure all the X's and all the O's, all everything is normal and make sure that you're well, you're not going to go fall and die. And, Quickly prescribe something and go. You want to build, like I said, the takeaway is build a good relationship with your p doctor. It doesn't have to be a friendship, correct? But it has to be mutual respect. So when something is happening and the patient and the doctor gives you, for example, a statin or a beta block, 
ask the question, okay, I'll, I'll start with this, but how are we monitoring it? What are we looking? What are the factors that we're looking at? And how can we, over time, possibly eliminate this? Not everyone's personality is made to be a doctor. I don't, yeah, you're absolutely, I think so. everyone's personality, like, I don't see myself in those shoes. Like, listening to problems from All eight, day. ten <laughs> different people that day, not for everybody. Why? I was going to suggest medical school. You'd be a terrible psychologist. <laughs> psychologist? <laughs> yeah, to sit down and listen I'm to people's problems. I'm not going to get into psychology. Look, it, you it, know my theory. It's, on not, that, just, so I'm it's not, not just about anything. compassion, like, like Dr. Malikin said, the system is all messed up, because they have to see, you know... 15 patients within an hour to to even make ends meet and be able to pay their overhead and pay this fee and that fee and malpractice and it's part of it there is, is part of it is not them but part of it is them the majority of it is the medical but if you code want, itself this is the thing we go to a lot of conferences right i get to meet a ton of doctors yeah. like on the other like when we were talking about like anti-aging side or the new com- we have so much we can talk about uh, on the stem cell side as well you get to meet a lot of different dis- like DOs. All these different docs that they're, if their passion is there and they want to learn and they want to come, they're going more to like conventions and conferences to learn more and they want to give to the patient, okay? So again, you want to make sure that, you know, whatever you're doing, if there is a prescription done or like if someone is giving you a prescription for something, have a discussion of why, what can you do? Obviously, your lifestyle factors play an influence on this, okay? So you can't just blame the doctor, okay? If you're, if you're, you know, your triglycerides are high, fatty liver situation your liver enzyme is high again you have to the first step there is going to be you changing your diet for example okay so if you know that you're not going to take any part of your own take responsibility for your health there isn't even much that i could do for you because it's just like i'm just going to be speaking for an hour and you're just going to say okay and go home and not do anything do okay so <laughs> the idea if the patient doesn't idea do their part you can wellness can't comes from what i for me it's about building consciousness within so building a relationship with you and your own body because the more conscious you are of what's going on internally you're a better representation of you telling me what's going on and i could help you even more but if you're no, you don't want no you know you have no, don't know nothing you don't want to deal with anything you don't want to change just your life give me a i'm pill. the wrong person <laughs> to see because i could fix your joints and stuff just inject it and you're good to go but there can't be a discussion of like wellness or you know like let's let's take this guy and turn him into this how do you deal with patients that don't know how to describe what they're having so what we you do have is, that. yes, because what happens is the best thing is it's almost like you're doing an interrogation, right? In a sense, okay? So as a doc, the best thing is your, your diagnostic tool. So we go in depth about your whole history, what's going on, some of these things. And when we talk about it, things come out. And then they go like, oh, yeah, it was this. 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 So there's multiple things that pop up, and we get to address things. And if you know that, for example, you're eating a simple carbohydrate and it's getting you gas and bloating, you first understand it, you're not going to – you're going to be observant of that symptom, and you're you're hopefully not going to do that again, okay? So some people don't know. They're like, oh, yeah, I go to the restroom, let's just say, every two days or three days. Like, that's not because I deal with a lot of thyroid issues as well, okay? Like, Hashimoto's is on the rise. So, again, uh, with women as well. But it's just once you start educating them, they become more aware and they are able to teach you more, too, about their body. And then you're able to, it's almost like a dance. Now, they know that what you're looking for and you know what they're looking for yeah, like together. Together, makes you know, you, and then you keep an eye on the uh, blood 
panel and see what's going on. Again, at the end of the day, as a doc, you're going to make medical decisions not only based on what your patient wants, but based on what the lab says as well. If there's a medical urgency, you have to do that. Okay? Yeah, exactly. it's, like, it's like we said, it's like a marriage. It's a, they, know, they both have to kind of work together. We have a couple of questions, actually. Sure. <clears throat> One is from uh, Tillman. He says, which therapy would you recommend for tennis elbow? Okay, tennis elbow. So with tennis elbow, basically... Epicondylitis. Wait, Tell us what tennis elbow Lateral is. Lateral epicondylitis. Okay. So <laughs> oh, got it. All right, tennis elbow. <laughs> got it. Continue. <laughs> what therapy you would recommend? It's from like for a tennis backhand, elbow. you know, it's constantly. It's is right it like? Here. Is it like a soreness here or right here? Yes. So, again, with tennis elbow, I think um, prolo would be a good start. Okay, I've gotten good results with prolo, not even going into PRP, platelet-rich plasma. Prolo therapy. You can look it up. Uh, it's basically like I said earlier. It's it's been around from since 1960s, 70s. 1950s or 60s. Um, uh, Hewlett Hackett, who, who came up with mm-hmm. this whole strategy, what he did was he took dextrose, which is sugar, and mixed it with lidocaine mm. or some sort of anesthetic like procaine or mercaine or bovacaine, one of them. But usually lidocaine is used. But that's and for numbness, though. For isn't numbing, it? yeah. yeah. He, put, he mixed these two together and did little injections near um, tendons and ligaments. And he noticed great improvement. The real overall mechanism of prolotherapy, it's still till today is not well understood. You know, I would lie if I say I know. Because when you look at it, and I've been through many conferences, there is a pro-inflammatory process with prolotherapy, just like PRP. The idea there is that you're creating a local inflammation in the tissue. The body is responding to that inflammation to clean it up, Mm -hmm. let's just say that sugar, and it recognizes that there's an issue and starts fixing it. That's the kind of overall consensus of the how, system how the, yeah, like it's almost like, hey, your buddy's just like rejecting that area, has other things to do. You're kind of like, hey, buddy, like pay it's attention here in a sense. You wait up. Come over here and let's get it, let's get something done. So I would start with that patient, you know, the, e, the one it would be prolotherapy, PRP, and if it's an advanced case, I mean, we have to look at it with an ultrasound, see what's going on. Advanced case, exosomes, which we haven't even gotten into, mixed yeah. with PRP, okay? So right. again, there's some options there. Also, uh, again, lifestyle, right? Are you still using, are you still playing tennis or what's going on? No, he's a carpenter, so he works okay. with his, oh. yeah. He does yeah, uh, uh, woodwork and so there's, stairs. While and we're that. at that, there's golfer's elbow, medial epicondylitis, and then there is tennis elbow, like backhand. Right. That's what they name it. Just don't play those two sports. You're good it's to go, It's not even guys. a sport, but you're right. Play <laughs> ping pong well, instead. The poor guy's a carpenter, uh, man. He's on, Basically, he's, he's constantly working with his with arms. His arm, so yeah. those, uh, those are something you do work on. Yeah, I do all the injecting. I, I love doing, like, you know, again, injection therapy, for example, like I said, PRP is like the most natural thing. You're using your own body own to heal itself, yeah. right? And it does amazing things for hair, great results with hair, joints, okay? Like I mentioned earlier, you can even use it on the face, you know, with the microabrasion pen to cause new collagen to form. Again, that's there's, our, a lot of that's app- our there's, most a, there's a lot of applications, but we are moved. <laughs> we moved on to that. I mean, we can move into the topic of stem cells. Yeah. Um, yes. Well, let's, Before we, we get to a couple, yeah, couple, couple more, yeah. more yeah. questions, yeah. and then we'll get to uh, exosomes. We got to get to step um, one too. Robert, Robert has a question sure. about um, what are your thoughts about the NM, NMN NAD plus yeah, and metformin combo question. that supposedly reverses or has been uh, known stuff. to slow down I mean, aging? Oh, great stuff! NAD uh, nicotinamide. What an amazing stuff. Okay. Uh, okay you just, <laughs> just, just great, great question. Arna loves the uh, big words, the scientific uh, again, word it's, terms. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> every, <laughs> single, every single, um, 
every single business or like uh, career has that terminology. Like for me, it's like imagine me jumping in your yeah, so you know I need you to fill out the uh, SPQ, the NDA, all this stuff. It's like you're not gonna know what it is. So it's like I'm looking at all these like NAD. Yeah. We have a form for that in real estate. <laughs> well, mo- like, most most industries have three forms and three terms. They have. <laughs> You Two guys million. Have 17. <laughs> in like, it's, like, it's like a Czech last name. <laughs> no, but it's a, that's a, such an amazing thing. We haven't even, there's so many things to talk about. NAD is an amazing thing. So NAD plus, basically what it is, is in your system, you have something called NADH, okay? Okay. It's that H, it's a hydrogen, it's a reducing agent, okay? We're not going to get into the biochemistry, but it donates an electron, okay? The H, Adam. Okay. NAD, and it's used in the Krebs cycle, which is to generate, uh, energy in glycolysis okay so what we have to do in is, layman's terms in layman's terms it's <laughs> it rejuvenates it causes gives a lot of energy uh-huh. it's really great with anti-aging because it's rejuvenating to your dna okay that's what i think where he was so wouldn't to. that affect the, your testosterone as well so mm-hmm. it can but it, this is used in a different aspect so i'll tell you nad i'm not even a big i don't even do it oral we do an id nad okay um, it's specifically, you can do 250 milligrams up to 500 milligrams. It's a very slow drip over a long period of time. Okay. The reasons we do the application is one is just anti-aging. Like he mentioned, uh, we do it at a 250 milligram dose. It takes about three hours, the drip, slow drip, very, very rejuvenating, a lot of energy after it. We use it a lot also in addictions and withdrawal syndrome, oh, okay, really? in opiate addictions, okay. okay. All across, I mean, in Southern California, there's a lot of clinics that use NAD as well in a lot of withdrawal situations, mm-hmm. higher doses. takes about six hours to drip, okay. It has to be very slow because it causes chest tightness, okay. Mm-hmm. So this has to be done in a medical environment. You don't just... This is not just a random IV Anyone. you go get, okay? So there's actual any... like heart monitors connected to no, the chest No, no, there's no heart monitors because we no, do a lot of different kinds of IVs. It's a drip, but, you know, the nurse, we have to keep an eye on you. Okay, and okay. at the same time, Monitoring. it's not something like, you know, you can go get a drip like a hydration. Of and they can open the bag quickly to get you out of there, right? Just dripping fast. It's from the hangover. <laughs> <laughs> you just get a, yeah, like a lactated ringer or a saline for, uh, for hydration, right? But in these cases, when we use some of these things, I mean, we haven't even gone into it. Like imagine IV curcumin, right? Have you ever heard of that? No. Okay, so uh, again, IV polyMVA. There's all these different IV typical things that atypical in a sense that we do in a closed setting in a, in, a, in our clinic. Mm-hmm. That it's not necessarily it's 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 really good for chronic illness as well, but also overall wellness. Like that NAD that our patient our, our patient our uh, listener Robert, Robert yeah Robert talked about is excellent stuff. I mean, NAD, let me tell you this one thing. I'm not affiliated with any of the companies, but I want to name something here. Uh, there's one company that makes that. I don't know if I should say the name or they could. you guys could write it and send it later to him um, sure. because I don't have any affili- affiliation with anybody here. This is purely educational. Mm-hmm. But there's only one source of it in the U.S. that actually provides it to all these other supplement makers, okay? If you're going to get it, you want to go get it from the source, okay? Uh, or we want to get it from a compounding pharmacy. So what we'll do is we can, we can make some list and – the guys here can send it to you of which one to get. Which you, is you don't want to name it on the air. No, we don't, okay, wanna, okay, we don't okay. need to affiliate with anybody. This is this is education. Okay, we'll okay. tell them we can send it there. Sure. It's not a we'll send deal. it to you. We'll send but it. it's one company that makes it and gives it to all these other players that they sell it to. But then they add fillers in there. Okay, again, supplement industry is huge as well. Billion dollar industry. A lot of bad stuff out there as well. Okay, we yeah. can do one talk on just supplements, right? Like, what's good supplements? What are some of these things that you can kind of 
put validity towards and which ones are just trash. Okay, yeah. that's what gives some of these herbs and supplements bad names. Now, do you think the you're talking about supplements as far as vitamins? Vitamins and yes, exactly. Now, what are you what are your thoughts on minerals? How important minerals. are minerals? So I love minerals. So in our panel, typically what we usually do is run a with the regular blood test we always check all your micronutrients which is all your vitamins and all your mineral status okay mm -hmm. minerals are a lot play a lot of role as cofactors in yes. specific enzyme activity so you want to make sure and things are well there okay and then that all goes back to something else we could later talk about called genomic medicine which is basically the future about five years down the line where it's basically we take your dna and we can see gene expression and proteins being made and what enzymes need to help. Therefore, we can kind of give the cofactors necessary mm -hmm. to help those enzymes, okay? So a lot of it, that a lot of noise that came out, like MTFHR, I don't know if any of the listeners have ever heard of it, met metal tetrahydrofolate reductase. <laughs> it's a huge name, but it's been popular. Like, MTFHR. <laughs> and so he thought 1003 was it's a big common. No, but it's common, and some doctors run it, actually, okay? It's how you That's absorb insane. B12 and folate. So it's important. It's a genetic aspect that influences kind of your overall wellness. I asked somebody for a W-2 form for the tax returns. They go, what? What's now a you w got, what's a W-2? It's like <laughs> NHD, QRS, <laughs> We have someone here that's already interested in What's your available time. Now, before we go on, I did want you yeah. to tell us some information about where your center is, and okay. we'll get back to that again, but we should mo mention it for our listeners. I think we should, let's, let's talk about stem cells. Me, it's, it's easy, like, fine, let's, let's talk well, about We have his website, actually. I don't want to. Oh, yeah. it's on there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's on there. His website is on our, uh, now, right below the uh, description of tonight's show. Let's talk about so, the future. Okay, so let me ask <laughs> you this. Future. St as far as stem cells, <laughs> stem cells. now... There were a lot of articles in the early 2000s when stem cells became like this big thing. It's yes. like, oh, stem cells, stem cells. Uh, apparently, the United States banned it. So it's not banned. So I'll tell you, there's okay. a lot of controversy in stem cells. First and foremost, let's educate on what stem cells are. Okay? Okay. What are stem cells? Okay. So stem cells, what happened was when we hear about stem cells, we think, oh, my God, it's going to cure every disease. Correct? That's kind of what it was sold to the public. Like you get the – if we're able to kind of – use stem cells and infuse stem cells, we can reverse degenerative disease and chronic illness. Yes. Right? Because the idea is that your body, when you're born and when as a fetus, okay, as you're developing actually, your cells are what we call pluripotent, meaning they have the, they're not, or they're not designated yet of what they're going to become, whether they're going to become muscle, muscle, whether they're going to become your nervous system. So it's split into three different layers, echos, uh, ectoderm, endoderm, and mesoderm, okay? Okay. And those layers are still not differentiated into what they're going to become, like muscle, or is it going to become your nervous system? Or an organ or whatever Anything. It is. So it's called pluripotency, meaning that cell has the ability to turn into anything. Okay, so the idea was if we can harvest these cells, okay, and for example, to give it to someone that has Parkinson's disease yeah. or someone that has MS, multiple sclerosis, or someone that has um, autoimmune disease, we can reverse the damage, okay? It's easier said than done, okay? So what happened was a lot of companies started using embryonic, from the Wharton's jelly, embryonic stem cells. Okay, so what happens is when the baby is born, the placenta is delivered. Those placentas go to cord banks, okay? Mm -hmm. They go to cord banks that are processed, make sure that the mom, no viruses, nothing is in the system, everything is clean. 
they go through a spe- specific process to a place called the Wharton's Jelly, and they pull mesenchymal stem cells, okay, which are pluripotent. They have the capacity to become anything. To m- okay? They basically can mutate to anything. Anything really? we want. You're talking about anything organ-related. Organ anything. So you can you can turn that cell, yes, it's called pluripotency, into wow. anything we want. But the problem... What do you mean by anything you want? Anything. What do we want to do? So give me a question. Like, do we want to work on the... is not Let's working. just say we want to work like on a liver. the nervous system. Yeah. Or are, we, are we trying to work on the central <coughs> nervous system? Like you said, you have the, MS now. So MS is lesions, right? So mm. what is MS? MS is basically the myelin sheets, okay? It's still not well understood. The big hypothesis is that it's an autoimmune issue that mm-hmm. attacks the myelin sheets of your nerves. So if you think about your nerves as copper wires, yes. and then you have a covering on that copper plastic wire. Plastic wire. Plastic thing. If I go and chip Cut. away at the plastic wire, the conduction is not, conduction is not going to be great. So mm. what's going to happen no. is it's going to lose electrons lose. as the signal is as going through, going. as the action potential is going through. So it's going to be slower, right? The functionality is going to be slower. Yes. Process and we can see cool. lesions in the brain. So the, again, this is hypothetical, right? If we were to give stem cells, can you possibly overturn the situation? This opened up to huge marketing of stem cells, right? And the FDA was like, no, no, no. Okay? Why because no, no, no? Because the science didn't yet back up what these promises were being made. And there was the claims, huge the claims yes, and the, the claims. backup. Was and there's not the it's same. huge dollar amounts you're talking about here, okay? Huge dollar amounts going into these treatments and patients, whether they're getting better or not, that's a debate. So we can that's what we're nothing gonna get is, into. Nothing is proven. But I'll tell you though, over time, these therapies, okay, these stem cell harvesting became better and better. So the FDA came in and made specific regulations on it, okay, and said if you're harvesting stem cells from yourself, mm-hmm. okay, so this is how you do that. You can either go to the pelvic rim, rim, okay, in the back. It's a special process that we go in and pull bone marrow and get your own stem cells. But you less than if you're less than 40 years old, it's still good viable. As you age, the viability goes down. The biggest technique now that's the easiest is basically a minor lipo. So it's a specific little cannula that we make a small incision in the fat, mm-hmm. in the belly, and we take a little bit of uh, fat. And we take that we harvest the stem cells from the fat and we do injectables. We can't go IV, but we go into joints. That's the best when it's yours. So the st- so FDA said you can use yours, but you, you can't, can't use this outside source. Outside source, and not then they came it. and clarified it, and they gave us the okay to use outside source mesenchymal cells for joint injection. But recently, even that there is a there's a huge discussion about stem cells going on, and it's. About 95% of places that kind of say stem cell this, stem cell that, the problem is if you follow the direction of what the FDA wants you to do with those stem cells, those stem cells are dead. They're not viable. So we don't use them anymore. But this opened up the door to exosomes, okay? It's just getting better. But before you get into exosomes, (laughs) so you just skip a step and send. Yeah, but before you get into exosomes, what about those stem cells where they send it to a doctor with like dry ice yeah, and all yeah, that I stuff packaged. Uh, we, we would get those. So those, are those dead or are they so alive? So this is the thing. The new research is showing the problem with stem cells that we all had from the inception is that you are using fetal tissue if it's not yours and that fetal tissue has DNA. 
which is not yours, which is the fingerprint. So there can be an issue and people, Rejection. I'm not going to say names on certain companies, that there's people that actually have died from infusions with live stem cells. Okay, so when Is the, that a rejection of the body? Is yes, that what's going on? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. You can die like immediately. In a sense, what, what that did is it made the FDA really, really angry because... They said you have to follow this protocol. So when the cord where the cord banks followed this process, if they're really following from A to Z, mm -hmm. there is no way that that end product stem cell can be still alive. Okay, so we got this data recently. So what that ha what when that happened, scientists had discovered that we no longer need stem cells anymore. This is what's funny. There's no, there's so I'll tell you why. Okay. Because We as in the human body? No, or no. As who? long as, as, science. as doctors. Science, science doesn't need science, 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 science doesn't need Because it. we were taught in med school and in kind of undergrad that, kind hey, of? Kind of, yeah, undergrad <laughs> physiology and stuff, that exosomes, okay, which is the cell releasing trash, literally, okay? It's waste. Waste product, the cell can grab up the waste product put it in a vesicle, and throw it into the trash like that. Okay, yeah. Get rid of it. Okay. That's what we were taught. But now we know that stem cells, when they are injected to a joint, okay, the actual healing power of the, of the stem cell is something called exosome. It's these little vesicles that are budding off the cell, and they're communicators, and they only carry mRNA. mRNA is different than DNA. mRNA is a transcript. Okay, It's a transcript that you give all the nearby cells to as building blocks to build something. Okay, so you you're using uh, so the stem cell. You're using the stem cell as a signal to send the healing capacity to all local cells to, for healing to occur. So what that did is because they weren't able to see that with microscope. I think they're a hundred nanometers. Okay, the size of exosome them. size is very small. Okay, <laughs> very very small. Please tell me at least you at least you've heard that word. Before. Yeah, but it's yeah. for for me. It's like. Basically, it's like a contractor. The contractor sends like out a blueprint, right? Yeah, that's that, so it, crazy. It gives you the blueprint. So instead of the the stem cell really doing the job, it's, it's sending such an out amazing way it's built, right? So what we do is we know that if we were to give like two, three million stem cells as an infusion, they're releasing about fifty billion exosome molecules. So now what we do is we take the stem cells, grow them in a lab, okay, put them through stressors like heat. These stem cells release exosomes. We kill off the DNA of the stem cell, and, and we them. only use the exosomes. They no longer risk, uh, carry a risk potential mm. when you go IV. And so these are injected. It's just pro you go either, no, either joint or you can go IV, right? So this is no longer because it's just mRNA protein. You're, you're no longer risking DNA from the stem cell. Uh, so it's such a cool, it's a cool complex. I, I, get, I get exactly idea, right? how So when happens. you remove the DNA, for example, if it's coming from Joe Schmo, yeah. if they had MS, by removing the DNA, you're removing any type of disease that, that was associated with that DNA. So you're removing the DNA of the donor, not right. from whoever you're... From the donor, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, not to cut you off, but the idea there with the stem cells was the problem was that it was too big to pass through the blood-brain barrier. Mm. And about 60 to 70%, depending on which research you point to, were getting caught in the capillary beds of the lungs, and they were dying. So you weren't even using, you're They're only getting viability about 20, 30% of it, oh. right? But now, mm. because of the nanometer size, 100 nanometers, you can cross the blood-brain barrier, you can go, in, so it's just the potentiality. I mean, we can go into diagnostics of what exosomes are going to bring in the field of medicine is amazing. So the bottom line for your 
your audience to understand is it's almost like you said it the best. It's like the contractor has a blueprint. It gives the blueprint to all the workers, and the workers build, build what it. needs to be done. So you know Each one has their own individual yes. so the work to be done. So the cell uses the mRNA that it gets to keep building protein. And we get a response within six months. Okay, and Six it, months, it's viable. So in the, after that six months, it's still creating or at a specific time so it the idea creating. is because it's so new okay the research is coming out and coming out what they typically say is after six months you go in there and do a very small dose just to Re- reactivate it in a yes. sense and a lot of so what you have to understand is it's very important that the exosomes come from pluripotent mesenchymal cells because exosomes can come from cancer exosomes can come from dead tissue okay in your body we release we have billions of exosomes and if that's the case what you're going to get the disease so yeah so what you want to do is you want to be careful you want to make sure that the source of the exosomes is still coming from mesenchymal stem cells okay because what the conventional world is happy about with exosomes is future cancer diagnostics because the issue is we know now that cancer itself releases exosomes this was the most recent research study that i was reading that the cancer releases exosomes it's it actually looks around to, for where it's going to implant, and it's going to re- it sends that blueprint to the area. Let's just say the colon, and the cancer starts there. And so the idea is, this. if you can detect that specific exosome in the bloodstream, you're going to be able to detect cancer way far in advance. So all the money is so going even in that before stage one comes before around. Anything. This is oh. I'm talking about. This is like. This is basically... So you're going to have a way of telling people you're pre-cancer, in a sense. In a sense of you're going to look at the histology and you're going to... This is uh, basically microbiology, okay? The the most minute signaling. So all the heavy investment is going into... I mean, UCST and San Diego, they're doing this, is going into diagnostic aspects of using exosomes. Yes, there's a lot of people looking at it for the application, but again, there's a reason why that makes more sense because of... So aside from it not being harvested properly, uh, does it have any limitations or other side effects, the exosomes? So, again, there is no specific side. What the main thing that you want to do is know the source of who's providing the exosome, okay? I'm not going to name the company, but there's one company, again, we can't name it, (laughs) but that produces it and gives us an actual certificate of analysis. That's very important when you deal with anything, okay? C of A means that they've done the, the, it shows the sterility, okay, how sterile it is. It shows viability, how many cells are in there, and then it's, it's stamped like it's a legal document that the doctor has. It's not like Joe's making stem cell exosome in the backyard. You're pulling it up and you're giving it to a patient. No, no. we don't. We don't. You never want to deal with that. You always want to know the source and you always want to see C of A's to see that whatever you're getting is n- exactly what you're advertising. And, and this is all injected, you do, right? You do this in yeah, your own center. Yeah, again, yes. This is, you can use that as an anti-aging thing, but you can also use that as... Internal. Internal for all these other things that we... Now, the drip do. portion of it, you said you can use it, the drip portion of it or a straight... Joint injection. Joint so injection. the best, what I found best working the is when i mix about one cc one ml of prp with the exosome itself that's the best i've seen into joints that works amazing okay, okay. the also there's a cost thing there too so it depends if i know that i could get a lot more out of prp we'll go with the prp you know if if i know that hey this is something that might require something stronger then we go to that but again it's always about 
what are you trying to get out of this? Okay, are you a guy that has just straight wellness? Okay, uh, are you looking for you have a joint issue or are you, you know it's just we have variety of different patients, right? We have the complete anti-aging people that will do whatever Far it takes then. to get better. Okay, and even though I might say you know you really don't need this, they still do it. They don't care. Okay, but there's also patients that are really hurt, you know, and we got to look at you know they have a issue with their joint or their knee or their back how about back pain okay look at back pain they're doing amazing things with lower back pain lumbar issues herniations okay we can't do that in the office because it requires fluoroscopy so it's got to be an interventional radiologist so because he puts the needle right into the disc space we can't do that with an ultrasound we need to dedicate one big room to a fluoroscopy machine shoot a fluoroscopy that's their job that's who you should have doing it okay? is that like a, is that like that epidural thing that they do it's almost like an epidural but not necessarily Close. because you're going into the cushion okay that's not like something you just do in an office okay like i would never do that in my office yeah. okay even though i do i know what that's not what i do that's for an interventional radiologist to put it where he needs to put it then we can just push the exosomes in there okay it. so it's like you want to make sure you know your limitations as well right you don't need a you don't have a full on yeah. fluoroscopy machine there to look at the, basically what the fluoroscopy does is it's in real time shows us where the needle where? is going exactly so there doctor uh, now we don't mention that but there's a guy in the east coast that does a lot of these uh, type of um, interventions with he's a interventional radiologist does amazing stuff he's a friend of mine uh he does lower lumbar issues herniations mm -hmm. he helps a lot of patients with ibd irritable bowel disease with crohn's and ulcerative colitis they go into the peritoneum from the stomach okay oh, ultrasound shoot. guided and they push exosomes in the local area to reduce inflammation so oh. Again, it, this is all stuff that, you know, it's coming in the future again. Yeah. See, so, <laughs> these exosomes that you're talking about, you're, ta you're saying they're like very, very, very... Hundred like, it's 100 nanometers. So, okay, how, as far are you, is it mixed with like a saline or what no. is it mixed with that it's, it's, so, you'll be able to inject it in? So, this is what happens. They prepare it. Once they harvest it, they mix it with saline and they send it frozen specifically in a nitrogen tank to the office. We thaw it out. We have to use it that day. We use it, pull it out, give, push some, uh, push some uh, depending on if we're doing PRP or not, mm -hmm. and then we do the injection. But again, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it, every time I read the new research, it just makes me want to smile because I'm no. like, oh, my God, the potentiality of it is great, okay? Because the public is still on stem cells. But we, in the medical world, we've the scientists have passed well, on. No, the public's still on Tylenol and well, Advil. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> inflammation. Now, from every doctor I've, I've had to visit, <laughs> they tell you that overall the cause of diabetes is inflammation. Is that true? So overall, the cause of diabetes is not inflammation. Overall, the cause of diabetes is insulin resistance due to your glycemic load being high. So do you know what glycemic load is? No. Gly have you heard of glycemic diets? So low glycemic diet versus high glycemic. So glycemic means how sure. quickly it increases sugar and the insulin responding with that. So if you eat potatoes, they're high glycemic versus Definitely. if you eat quinoa or buckwheat. Yeah. White rice is high glycemic. Brown rice is medium glycemic. Bananas are high, medium glycemic. Mangoes are medium Bananas glycemic. Bananas are high, high. Medium and medium. Mango. High is watermelon, raisins, dates. Yeah. Okay? So, like, you know, when I go to my mom, she's eating tea with eating dates. They say this is healthy. Have, like, five of them. I'm like, <laughs> so no, sure. it's not. It's, it's full sugar. It's, yeah. But, again, because 
we kind of have a, a misconception. It's a fruit or nature makes it all of a sudden it makes it better. Yes, to some degree, but not to sit there and eat. So like where does inflammation <laughs> and diabetes come into play? So I'll together. tell you. So what happens with diabetes is goes back to the peptide thing we were talking about. So, for example, if you keep giving the body sugar, okay, so if you keep eating simple carbohydrates, okay, yeah, like there's rice. complex carbs, exactly, that is all your veggies, and then you have simple carbs like rice. Yes. So let's just say you keep pounding on rice. What that does is it increases, increases insulin. So mm-hmm. insulin is like a key that opens a door of the cell to, for the cell to eat, okay? So think about it like this. The insulin opens the door. The glucose, which is the sugar, goes into the cell, and the cell eats, okay? What happens is when you keep giving it, keep giving it, keep giving it sugar. Can't keep up. What did I say initially? If you keep doing stuff, if you keep giving someone, if someone doesn't listen, it just detects, right? It just No, what they do is the body off. becomes resistant to it. So no longer, that key no longer fits. So you're building insulin resistance because your body's like, hey. That's too much. There's too much sugar coming in. Okay, so that's type two. Type two with diet, I believe it's completely reversible. Type one is a different situation. You know, the beta cells no longer produce insulin, so you have no choice. It's not diet related. Let's talk about type two and type one. Even type one exosomes are not effective. So we have some data on it, but it's all experimental, and we don't want to get into it. But um, type one is more of a dynamic situation where. Again, biggest consensus is it's possibly an autoimmune issue. There's an attack on the beta cells of the pancreas. The beta cells no longer can produce the insulin, which is the key. Therefore, you can't open the door. So therefore, your blood sugar goes very high. Now, what determines your type 1 or type 2? So type 1 is usually juvenile, young. Okay, It could happen in your 20s as well. Again, all of us, if if you look at all the type 1 patients, it's just all of a sudden... One day they woke up, two, three days they weren't feeling good. They go to the hospital, their blood sugar is like 500. 500. Okay? Jesus Christ. But what, what we've seen in the integrative world, which is, again, this is all just needs further investigation, is that we see that these patients that have had type 1, if you check them for Epstein-Barr virus, EBV, or cytomegalovirus, okay, both of these viruses or one of them comes back high, positive. So one of the theories is, again, this is not 100% science that docs are investigating, is is there a viral component to the inflammatory process that eventually leads to the destruction of the pancreas, okay, that, that beta cell function. In type 2, it's completely lifestyle related, okay? So what happens is you come in, your A1C is high, we put you on metformin, and that's it. That's the discussion. It's like... You want to always try to see if you can make those lifestyle changes. We usually use low glycemic diets as well. And then there's great products I use to help balance that sugar. But at the same time, it's all on your patient's hand. This is when we talked about earlier. Like, does How that committed, patient care? Commitment level. If he goes home and starts yeah. drinking soda and doesn't care, like, you know, I'm not going to alcohol. Do that. Or if you're diabetic see, and you drink alcohol, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. an idiot. But see, you were talking about diabetes as far as type 1 and type 2, right? Yes. Don't you... You exercise, though, right? Don't you play soccer still? Not now. No. When was the last time you played, though? It's been what? Has it been months? months? Nine months? How? I don't think I played this year. You used to go play after Wise Nuts. That was Monday nights, bro. It was like first two months we started this. But see, hold on. Let me ask you this. When you would play, when you would play soccer and exercise, and then you would eat not the way you're eating now. You would eat like, you know, your pizzas and your this and that. I mean, did you feel any different? Definitely. Definitely. So it was Monday nights, I would have a hard time going to sleep. Because after soccer, mm-hmm. I was just too energized. I couldn't sleep. Every other night of the week, I could just See, fall I did- asleep by 9.30. I play soccer. I get home. I just can't sleep. 
Let's stay up. See, I did keto for two years, but like uh, I took two month breaks in between. Today is day one of keto again because I <laughs> the other day I went down to tie my shoes. I was out of breath, so well, I'm like, we have a question about keto actually. Yeah, we'll get into yeah. it. But uh, what are, what are your thoughts about actually going on keto? Because my this is my thought. Okay, go ahead. Th- there's go ahead people there's people that are against it. They say that you know what you're. Uh, it's not good for your kidneys. Number one, mm-hmm. I think I personally felt amazing when I was on it. I felt energized. It, it obviously took some time for me to get into the groove of it. Like right now, I've had today. I've I've measured it. I've had 25 grams of carbs today. That's okay. it. So do you know what ketosis is? Of course. Start from there. Your body okay. goes well, into. We have one insulin related question, then we'll get into. Okay, okay. Go, go to go to. Uh, so, what about the uh, ghrelin hormone? Yes, great question. Okay, you always want to check ghrelin and you want to check leptin. Okay, these on our, for example, um, insulin for our glycemic panels, they're all in there. I check all those. So uh, that definitely is a great question to check because. Not necessarily ghrelin, but if leptin is super high, that causes a lot of effect. That causes a lot of issues with uh, insulin. Okay, so again, definitely something to look into mm, and check okay. to get it done. So yeah, uh, ketosis. There's ways. There's peptides we can use to stop that signaling. The ghrelin signal. Yeah, mm. yeah. Okay. So k- ketosis. I read about it before I did it, and basically, what ketosis is is uh, when you deprive your body of sugars or carbohydrates. Uh, what your body does instead of using the sugar and carbohydrates as an energy source, it turns to the fats. So it takes the fats and it uses it as, as fuel and your body goes into ketosis. Ketones, yeah. Ketones. That's how I lost so, weight. Yeah. So what I would do is I would actually buy pH strips as well mm-hmm. to check my ketones to see where they were. Were they low, medium, high, extra high? And what these pe- what, uh, for those who are listening who want to do ketosis, these strips, you could buy them at Target and you basically pee into a cup and you dip the strip inside, and it'll tell you uh, how, how much ketones you have in your system. The higher the ketones, the more fat you'll burn. And what I was doing is my diet consisted of 60% fat, meats, and all that stuff, and then uh, maybe 30% was veggies and all that other stuff, Fruits are and then 10% was basically carbs. I'll tell you this. You know, it's, again, case-by-case case based, okay? I feel like there's always a specific fad that comes along and everybody jumps on it, right? Ketosis is a great thing that the body naturally, innately does, okay? Mm-hmm. What it does is, it, through a process called beta-oxidation, it takes fat and makes it into ketone as an energy source yes. for your body, okay? And you'll notice that that's why we call it ketone breath. Or diabetics typically have ketone breaths, okay? Um, what you want is this is specifically highly recommended for neurological people with neurological disease like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, dementia, okay? I've even heard cancer. So with cancer, it's great because, again, everybody knows that carbs or sugar feeds cancer cells, okay? And you're almost starving out the cancer if you're using, uh, we haven't even gotten into the cancer itself, but uh, it's basically if you're using ketones as a source, then the cancer internally theoretically, I guess, is starving out. Yeah, it's, it's, kill, it's basically yeah. dying. So what I would say to that is you have to look at your overall cholesterol first, okay? See if there's an issue. If there is fa- familial hypercholesterolemia, okay? If your cholesterol HDL-LDL ratio is not equivalent, not like 2 to 1, okay? Or if you have other markers like LP little a, it's a specific marker. There's a few other ones that I look at to make sure that this is viable for you in the long run, okay? Again, it's almost starving your body, okay? 
I think that whatever you do has to be cyclic. Okay, I don't think you should just be stuck on ketones as well for the rest of your life. In a no, sense, no, no, okay? no. So because the pH factor, right? You mentioned the pH factor. You're checking the pH. So that's a great way to look at it. It's an easy thing you could do at home and check your pH and see how you are. Okay? Yeah. So for uh, people that have pre, uh, type 2, it's a great place to start, okay, um, with uh, doing going through this process. But again... It's all on moderation. So I don't, if you ask me what is my favorite diet, I would say I don't have a diet, favorite diet. It depends on are you right Specific now body supposed type. to be on an anti-inflammatory diet because of what's going on? Are you on just a, do you want to know just the general wellness of what things that you can avoid that causes inflammation, no inflammation? Typically, I like low glycemic diets as well. You know, you don't want to overload the burden, burden the body with glucose. So it's, again, the answer there is a little bit of everything is what I like. Depends on the patient and what they're trying to do. Yeah. Ketones got a lot of attention is because, I don't know if you've heard of Bulletproof Coffee. That's yeah. what I, that's, like that. that was my morning so coffee. Like, again, with losing weight, like marketing, it's a machine, right? It's a you business. Just, it's a huge business. But think about this. Have you heard of a peptide called AOD9604? <laughs> You're throwing numbers and letters at me again. <laughs> Throw numbers and letters, letters at me. This guy starts he, he only knows AY. W2 and 1003. That's <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, you got 1099 too. And it's a, a 1031 it's a, exchange. Again, there's a lot of ways to look at weight loss itself and why people are not losing weight, right? Okay? So majority of the time, we haven't really touched on the master hormone of all, which is thyroid, okay, which I believe is the master key to everything. Um, you want to make sure that when your doctor runs and says your thyroid is normal, this guy is not or her, he or she is not checking TSH. If it's just TSH and they say you're okay, that's archaic. Okay, hold like, on. What, what is the TH? TSH is the signal from the pituitary gland, anterior pituitary, to your thyroid to release thyroid hormones. So okay. when they look at TSH, they're like, okay, everything's okay. It's not. There's more to that. There's way more to that. That's like that's bottom level stuff. Okay, you want to make sure that you have them do <laughs> T4, total T4, free T3, total T3. You want to do T3 uptake, and you want to make sure that one time at least your doctor checks TPO antibodies to rule out any kind of autoimmune situation. Because we see sometimes that the the antibodies might come back high. But the thyroid still looks normal. But mm -hmm. the patient is struggling, so it looks like the effect is coming. We have to wait sometimes till that TSH goes above 4.2 to say, oh, you have high, we have low thyroid function. Like, who waits for This is what kind of internally drives me insane is that it's almost like you're on a clock to wait till you get worse and worse and yeah. worse and worse until that low Critical. or high goes there. And then they're like, okay, we want to fix it. Because think about it. Your thyroid regulates almost everything. It regulates your... T cells, your white blood cells maturing properly. It regulates your basal metabolic rate, meaning how many calories you burn, okay? Yeah. So if your thyroid is not functioning and you're eating, even if you're restricting your calories, you're going to gain weight, okay? No matter what. No matter what. Coldness in the hands and feet, it changes the temperature. Your basal rate temp comes down to like 97, 96.8. So it regulates that. It regulates different issues, and specifically T3, okay? T3 is the potent one. 
you're born with it, your thyroid functions, and when you go off, it's still there, okay? Every other cycle, in a sense, okay? <laughs> really? Look at us face. The T3 like, outlives you. Huh? Yeah, the T3 outlives you. <laughs> I got to get the through that, homie, right there. The reason I say that is because if you look at all your hormones, they're cyclic, okay? So your sleep-wake cycle, melatonin oh. and cortisol, it's cyclic. If you look at your teenage, when you get into your teenage years, your hormones, hormones start change. working, right? It's cyclic, and then it stops. Thyroid is constantly there and it's constantly working. That's why I call and there's it the a change m- in it at all times. And but it's always it needs to be properly functioning. It can't go low or high. Okay, that's why I call it the master regulator. Okay, and it's and it, in specifically with women, a lot of Hashimoto's disease being diagnosed. Okay, which is the autoimmune component of the thyroid. Okay, mm-hmm. so very important to to look at these things at least once to just get it checked. So if you look at your thyroid panel and it just says TSH. You want to that improper? You can yes. check that at your mechanic shop. Even no, no, no. Even if it's <laughs> even if it's one and it looks excellent, even if it's one point five two, we like to see it less than two. Conventionally, up to four point two is normal. Anything above it, but always recommend that. Hey, can I get a T three, T four, free T three, free T four? Let's do a full thyroid Be a panel, thor- just as thorough as possible, right? Because it makes the job better in the primary care setting. The problem is it's all you're passed along. Like it's like. TSH come back high, the person can't do that. They're not going to give you Synthroid or whatever we need to give you, bioidenticals. They're going to send you to an endocrinologist. Then he has to read. So about three months, you wait till this situation Approvals. happens until you finally are like, okay, yeah, this person has a sub Thyroid issue. Right, he's bad enough where we could actually take him seriously now. <laughs> turn, turn it off. Just turn off the machine. But it's thyroids are mostly, the problem is with women though, right? It's mostly in women. No, it's mostly women, but not necessarily. Men have an effect as well. But you have to understand, if you look at thyroid, 1960s exponential growth till now okay Mm -hmm. what you have to look at is why did that happen the biggest reason i look into it is heavy like environmental factors because your thyroid requires iodine to function okay it needs iodine in order for tpo to work to make the thyroid hormone okay so guess what if you know the periodic table on the chemistry board you'll know that what's in that same family fluoride bromide chloride so these things are through industrial revolution with making things they didn't do it on purpose, but all these chemicals that were put out, these things compete with the thyroid for functionality. So if you're having a lot of fluoride, if you're having chloride, bromide, things you are touching things, this is affecting overall downstream the functionality. Even of the physically touching it. Physically touching or being around fluoride. Okay, what's in fluoride? Flu- toothpaste has fluoride. Yes. Water has, like, oh, I see. like city water, there's fluoride in it. Okay, just much more than fluoride. No, I don't want to get into all these other. Yeah, there's a lot of things in there. Yes, like you're on the wiseness, man. No, this listen, place gets really. We'll have him back for another has, show. We'll talk he about still it. Still has a medical license to protect. Yeah. So. Listen, no, no, it's not only that. Of course, look, San Diego was the only county because I went. I was there for 12 years that they didn't allow fluoride, and then they finally kind of caved in and fluorided the water. It has its purpose, but the problem is these purposes have detriment to human function. So you have to look at it. It's not only, you don't want to be this guy that says, hey, everything is bad. Like, you can't breathe the air. You can't do that. What are you going to do? You're part of this environment. Bacteria. You can't remove yourself from it. You're not going to be a bubble boy. You want to hear a lot of that? Go to Maple Park. Now, bacteria (laughs) is an important part of the function of your body. When people tell me, oh, you got to wash your hands every 10 minutes. I'm like, dude, your body can function. Oh man, we haven't you even gone into the microbiome bacteria. of this. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> we're about, we're about two Your hours body in, guys. and bacteria must be present for function. Of course, I'm not. Uh, I'm all for. Look, I say uh, 
uh, even if the, when the day comes, I have a child, I'll let them go and play in dirt. Right. Yes. This is the thing. If you are controlling every aspect of your child, that child is becoming immunodeficient because mm -hmm. it's not building natural antibodies to the things that it's touching. Therefore, when it goes to kindergarten or wherever it goes, they're constantly sick, 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 Five second rule. No, you know, Leave I'm it just saying you want to be, Five as second. a parent, you want to be kind of looking at these things, but at the same time, you don't want to say like completely. Sometimes clean. you got to let it go. Yes. Okay. And yeah, it depend again, if you, usually what we say is when you treat an infant or a one year old, two year old, you're actually treating the parents. You're not treating the kids. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I think it's we froze. It's because. No, we're uh, good here. No, no, I think we did. Just uh, double click it because I think every time it goes into the hour marks. Okay. I just realized that now. But it's an interesting thing that you, treat, okay you, you treat family, you treat the parents instead of treating kids. Because, yeah. the, because again, it's very understandable, right? If it's your first child, you're going to be overprotective. You don't want anything to happen to yeah. it, right? And then that leads to other discussions, which we won't have on this stage, uh, which, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but, but again, um, that, uh, going back to your initial kind of conversation that led us this way about the keto situation. Yes. Yes, like I said, I agree. To a certain degree, you want to make sure that, again, for your body type, it's the best thing. You might lose all this weight, but putting your body through a lot of beta oxidation to produce ketones is not a good thing either, okay? Mm -hmm. Because it's still an oxidative effect. So how do we age? Oxidizing. We oxidize. Just exactly. like a little bit of soap that you leave on something turns into white. So I'm deoxidizing my body. That's you're what oxidizing your oxidizing. body. Oh, you need. That's why they say take antioxidants. Okay, mm. it's the oxidative and reductive properties of biochemistry that kind of make us age. Salt. Properly. Another okay. thing I wanted to talk to you about salt. Okay. For the last fifteen <laughs> years, everybody's been saying, "Don't eat. Don't put salt in your food." I personally think that's wrong. I. That's just me. I'm not a doctor. You are. What's so your take on salt? salt? So salt is innate to life. Okay, yes. let me start from there. Okay, it's a it's on the periodic table. We can't yeah, we can't remove it. Okay, sodium. <laughs> Again, yeah, sodium chloride. It just comes together. Okay, this is the thing. If we if you look if you've ever looked on something called CMP, which is Comprehensive Metabolic Panel that everybody has, where they're looking at your liver function, we're also looking at salt, potassium, chloride. Okay, these play a lot of role in inside of the cell versus the outside of the cell keeping the electrodynamic properties there okay so meaning we need to keep that at a certain millivolt okay for proper cellular function to yes. occur okay so it's essential sodium potassium pump i mean every anybody listening is a med school student or you learn about this even in any kind of physiology sodium potassium two three two like they, they hammer this in your head yes the reasoning behind that is because in order to keep these cells at a specific again energy source energy form like millivolts that that functionality from the inside of the cell to the outside the potentiality has to be there okay so therefore your question it's 100% you need salt but the problem is everything today that is preservative and that is manufactured like chips process process all process you have a ton of sodium and guess what sodium does if you put 
how do you dry a fi- if you get fish and you want to kind of smoke it or dry it? You put it in a lot of salt. A lot of salt. It soaks, it soaks up the up water, the water. Out of it, right? So think about it. it. Now, if you take a ton of salt and you keep eating salt, what happens? Fluid moves into it your tracks to the salt. So if if you're eating food, if you're eating salty food, simple thing. Fluid moves from the extracentral tissue inside into the blood vessel, and what that does is increases volume. When it increases volume, increases blood pressure. So that's why they say people that are on medication or have hypertension to avoid salt. That's the whole reason. It's very simple. If you take too much salt, water goes in, blood pressure goes up. Okay. So the question to your answer, the the answer to your question is moderation. Okay. Everything is moderation. And you'll see sometimes patients will see, man, I need salt. Like they, they eat pickles. They're like, I have a lot of, you know, like I love pickles or they, some people's body, they want salt. They want salt. They want salt. Okay. So again, if you're going to do salt, depend on the limitations. Yeah. Don't put salt on everything. We're used to like culturally, we're just salt everything. Like, no, yeah. I don't need any processed food for the last three months. I haven't had anything processed, but my food, I like to put some salt on. Okay. I get shit for it every time. Right. Is it Himalayan salt? Pink <coughs> salt? What is it? Listen. One of these fancy salts? <laughs> I don't use anything fancy. These guys, these guys know nothing fancy. In it's my from life. the yard. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, went harvesting his I, own backyard. I went to uh, in the desert, look, made my own salt. Hey, look, here, here's here's a generic rule I like to go by, and uh, and you, I mean, you could concur if you want, doctor. Is when you two guys talk about keto, then you hear about um, uh, what was the other one, um, Atkins, and uh, so many different ones that have yeah. come out over the last. Dash. Century. Mm-hmm. My my question I always ask people is: Are you trying to fit into a wedding dress? A no. B Can you sustain this for the rest of your life? No. Can you do keto for the rest no. of your life? I, I did it for two years. That's crazy. That's, that's not, not rest good. of your life. And that's I could have continued, <laughs> but I don't think it's good for you. I felt great. No. But that's what I was getting. I did back blood to. work. My cholesterol was down. My good cholesterol was okay. okay. My fatty liver was gone. What was your fatty acids? Uh, that I don't remember. Well, That's what you want. Yeah. So this is the thing. This is why I said, again, limitations. Everything in moderation is the key, right? Depending on what your body needs. But always remember, this is in the back of my mind. It always I think about when I think about keto diet is the process of producing ketones, okay? That is innate in the body in a hunger starvation situation, okay? So if you're constantly putting your body through starvation and constantly activating those receptors, you talk to people that have intermittent fasting, right? That's exactly what I was about to bring up. I like intermittent fasting, okay? Intermittent fasting, real intermittent fasting is six hours on, 18 hours off. Typically, I adjust that for our patients eight hours on, meaning eight hours you could eat, 10 to six, and 16 hours off, because it's hard to just tell someone, hey, you're going to eat only six hours in a day, okay? And typically, the problem people have or mistakes they make with intermittent fasting is they'll have one meal, and that's it. And in that six-hour period, they'll have one meal the whole day, and the next day, they'll have another meal. Even in that six-hour window, let's just say you pick 12 to 6 that you're eating, 12 uh, 12 p.m. to 6 p.m., you still want to give your body three three times the food. Yeah, still want to eat in smaller meals. portions. The breakfast, yes. lunch, and dinner. Basically. You don't want to just starve the body and say, "Hey, you're just going to eat one meal." Like that's it for yeah. the day. Intermittent fasting, I love way more than keto. Yeah. Because I, yeah, I did intermediate fasting, and it was. You didn't do it for very long. I you didn't did do it for it, like two I, weeks. No, no, no. I did it for three. I roughly about three and a half months. So did you do them at the same time? No, 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 no. I, once I stopped keto, I went to inter- intermediate fasting. I did it for about three and a half months. The problem I had with it was 
when it would get to nighttime, you uh, I got really, really hungry. It took about maybe a week for me to kind of adjust to it. So I changed the times a little bit where I would stop eating at like the 6 to 7 o'clock time period. See, that is a sign of basically you're already building insulin resistance. When you get hung, when you don't eat it at night, when you wake up at middle of the night or you wake up or you're really hungry and you go to sleep. Yeah. So what you do is one of the tricks there is you take glycine, okay? Glycine as a powder or anything, uh, as a supplement itself, there's a certain amount that we give that will stop the system from waking you up, going you going into hypoglycemia to push yourself up, okay? So with intermittent fasting, you want to make sure, depending on who the patient is, you want to start them off. Typically, I'll start them off on eight hours on, 16 hours off, yeah. and kind of guide them through it. But in that sense, when you're fasting, see, fasting is different than keto. Fasting is amazing. The Krebs cycle, the biochemistry of fasting is fascinating. It's really rejuvenating and anti-aging for you. Well, uh, what I've heard about fasting is white. I don't know. I don't know if you lost weight uh, or not. But um, how would, how did you feel overall, like energy-wise? Energy. Here, well, here's the thing. I would in the mornings when I would wake up, my meals would basically start at around lunchtime. So twelve one, depending on what I ate or when I last ate the night before. Mm-hmm. Uh, would depend on when I would eat the next day, but uh, oh, more, were you changing it constantly? Like I wasn't changing it constantly. It was more of like let's say but for an example, hour this way, that way. Yeah, would that make a difference? You, you want that? You want to be consistent? If so if really, thinking, because what happens is think about it. If you adjusted wow. an hour, then you didn't really do eighteen hours on. Well, it's 16, no, 18 hours one on way or the you other, do, you're not doing. You're not doing hours. it because if you calculate it, let's just say you you're ate not. twelve yeah. to six today. Okay. Yes. And then tomorrow you eat at one and you go until seven. Seven. If you look at the reverse, you didn't do the complete, and then the next day you're eating shorter because you're going back to like let's just say twelve. To See, six. It, it, it would all depend on. You can't it, change it, it. I know, I know, but it would all depend on the weekend or if I had an event. Like for example, uh, if I had a wedding, I would basically not eat until three, four, so and then I would start. Yeah, so I could start my cycle because I'm going to be going to a, an yeah. event. No, no, I like, understand. No circumstance based. I understand, but real intermittent one, fasting. One, one to seven. That's what my cycle was. Oh. It was one to seven, and then. What time do you sleep? Uh, I would try to sleep at least ten, ten, eleven you o'clock. Give four hours between your meal till your sleep. Well, like uh, if you want to go like real, like hardcore into yeah. the science, you don't want to. Even if you're doing intermittent fasting, let's just say the patient says I'm going to do three to nine, but they sleep at ten. That's not smart. That's not good because mm. you're eating and you're sleeping with this insulin Massive. and glucose. Yes, yeah. you don't so do 7 that. o'clock I would stop, but those at like 9, 10 o'clock when I would kind of get, again, you'd, you'd feel hungry again, I would just load up on cucumber. Cucumber. Okay, cucumber. Interesting choice. I've yeah. been going towards water. pistachios yeah. and uh, cashews. Cashews. And <laughs> and oh, just cucumber. Yeah, be fat. Uh. So... That's, That's why my cholesterol. But I mean, <laughs> intermediate fasting. I mean, the reason why I went to intermediate was because it was like, okay, the human body used to basically eat that yeah. way. It was like we were gun- uh, hunters and gatherers. So what we would do, by the time we hunted, got the food ready, prepped it, did all this, and ate. The next day was the same thing. We didn't eat until we go and we, again we hunt, bring it back, kind of like the caveman diet as well. Wait, yeah, yeah but that the lifestyle like, difference. You, you, by by nature, your body is made to handle that uh, hunter and gatherer style. Your body is made for that. Yeah, especially where you come from makes up. Yeah, where your natural DNA comes from, I believe you belong in that. Land. Uh, my well, lifestyle was of, able. There's to. a lot of research in that as far as area goes because that goes back to the microbiome, which we haven't talked about. So. When you look at the overall continent, right, mm-hmm. depending on from like where our ancestors were versus 
different descents of different pe- people, descendants, different people, different area. They ate the foods there, so they got the their microbiome or the health of their gut. Okay, different is reflective amount. That's why you'll ask people. They're like, "Oh, we traveled back home or something. I never got bloating, or I felt great, or." You know, they never felt it. I always ask myself. Or some people go there and get, and get sick, sick for like. Exactly. But I always days. ask myself when they say they feel great, are they in that honeymoon phase? Meaning like they're so happy to get away from work and stuff like that. So you have to. And that's why they feel. But majority yeah. of the time, that's not the case. Or they get sick. Okay. Yes. Because the fruits and veggies and whatever you're eating, the microorganisms on there are very different than you. What your based. system is exactly. used to. So the underlining of re- real health is you have to go to the microbiome. So for your patient, uh, for your patients, for your uh, Listen, audience listening, yeah. um, one thing I really highly recommend for everybody is doing a complete stool analysis, okay? Not going to name name the uh, companies, but we can, if they need to, they'll let you guys know. Yeah. It's how it works is you, it's about, it's three stools are collected, okay? This is not conventional meat ordering you just over parasite, yeah. here go, and that's it. No, there's no problem. This is actually looking at the culture, all the different bacteria in your gut. They look at inflammatory markers like calprotectin, IgA. These things give us a lot of diagnostic uh, references. It looks at zonulin when people talk about leaky gut. Is there an actual leaky gut occurring or not? Okay. So there's leaky gut all started in around 2000 with gluten sensitivity and celiac patients. Okay. We can get into that too. But the microbiome (laughs) itself is amazing because the amount of different properties of bacteria in our gut and the, what we want to know is because then it references you to where you are, what I look at it as, your overall immunity, okay? Yes. So a lot of people these days, with, they have dysbiosis, they don't know about it, and that moves into something called SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. That's when the bacteria overgrows in your small intestines where it's not supposed to be. And then they give you a breath test to see if you have SIBO or not. If you have SIBO, you definitely, in my book, you have dysbiosis in the large intestine, okay, in your colon, because that's where the bacteria are supposed to be. What happens is with weight, there's pressure put on the ileocecal valve that connects the small intestine to the large intestine, and when, especially with people that are obese, that that valve there gets dysfunctioning, or if you're an athlete or if you work around, if you work out a lot, that can kind of open up and the bacteria can move into the small intestine and create something called SIBO. So now there's a huge fat of like everyone has SIBO, you know. Is it really true? And it's a very strong, we have to give you rifaximin. It's a strong antibiotic. Everyone has SIBO. In a sense of the word, what I'm saying is like it's, there's always something new every year that comes along that just gets overdiagnosed, okay. The thing is when you talk about SIBO, you're just looking at symptoms and you're looking at not the root cause of the problem. You're just kind of treating the small intestine if the problem comes in as SIBO, but you're not really looking at the large intestine where the colon, where you, everybody should know where their microbiome is. Everybody should do it. There's different tests where they're taking the stool and they're looking at actual DNA of all the bacteria and listing it out. Jesus Christ, I can't Christ, name the company bro. on that either, but there's different tests I've with this. That. People with, yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> people that have specifically, if they have IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, because there's really no what we call etiology. There's no exact reason known for IBS. They say it's anxiety, but it's not really anxiety, okay? Uh, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Or IBD, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. 
patients in this realm should definitely take a look at their colon and the health of it, okay? Because it could give us a lot of information. Believe it or not, when we run it, we see a lot of pathogenic bacteria in the stool itself. And this is not this cuckoo lab. This is very, very, it's, a, it's, a, it's the number one lab in the U.S. that does these type of testings. And it's, it's highly accurate, okay? This is not like they take a little blood sample that they look at under a microscope and say, oh, there you got fungus. Like, there's these weird things that go into the quackery aspect of things. The microbiome is the future. That's why we, we always say health starts with a good blood test in my world, overall physical function, a good stool test in a sense of looking at internal health, looking at what's going on, and genomics, meaning looking at your DNA. Now, when we have these three, par, uh, three components. Uh, components, what we could do is we could see, hey, is, there, is the physiology normal? Is this patient feeling normal? But they still are saying, hey, doc, there's an issue. But everything looks normal. When you look at the gut, might be the problem might be coming from there. Or a lot of times that could be normal too. You look at the genome of the gene, the makeup in the genomic medicine, what I talked about earlier, touched up on it. We can do a whole episode on that as well. <laughs> you're gonna, you're, you know you're coming back, right? So we can do a whole uh, episode well, at on least that. Once that a is month. the gene <laughs> expression of the gene. So you have your DNA, which is the template, correct? Yes. And then that DNA codes for mRNA, what we talked about, yeah. the exosomes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that mRNA turns into enzymes and peptides and proteins, right? So if you're heterozygous or homozygous dependent <laughs> recessive, meaning like your gene is not functioning properly, you're not going to produce the proper protein or enzyme. Therefore, the body's going to struggle. So fee- for example, a few examples, people with anxiety or depression, okay? Look at something called COMT, C-O-M-T, or S-O-D. Okay. Or MOA, monoamino, uh, monoamine oxidase. So what that is, is it tells you how much dopamine is staying in your brain or how much of your neurotransmitters like serotonin is up there playing. A lot of times people with COMT deficiencies, what that means is their dopamine levels are already too high. The body's struggling, degrading it down. So therefore, these people drink coffee. They do anything that induces more neurotransmitter buildup. They get into massive panic attacks and have issues with these type of things like stimulants but all it requires is for example molybdenum like the cofactor to help that pathway pro- work so in a se- so there's a lot there's so a your, thing, so your, your diet has is, to do with it wait diet or mineral so there, a lot of these think about it so the w- best way to look at this is think about taking a something a and turning it into b okay you have an enzyme so enzyme makes reactions faster so it takes you enzymes speed up reactions really fast so if you have a genetic defect on that enzyme that you can't produce it well, therefore, A is going to struggle turning into B. So our neurotransmitters, which are norepinephrine, epinephrine, dopamine, serotonin, you guys always hear about. People yeah. say take 5-HTP, okay? Yeah. It's not for everybody. So what happens is our, our neurotransmitters that are built need to be broken down. That's what it is. At the synaptic level, okay, where the cell communicates with the neuron, communicates with the other neuron, okay, there's a process where these neurotransmitters are released mm-hmm. and there's a process where they're reuptake, meaning that they take it up. They're cleaned out of the system, okay? But if you're struggling with that cleaning and you do things that put your neurotransmitter function at a higher level, you're going to put yourself at massive anxiety attacks, okay? So a lot of times when we deal with anxiety or depression, the first thing I like to look at is genomics. Like, I want to look at the DNA and see the functionality of, for example, serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine. Like, what is the actual limitations this human body has? has to produce these things 
then what we can do is look at the aspects of cofactors that we can just add on, say, hey, let's help them this way instead of me giving you Lexapro. Okay, those, these things Seracool. don't have... Seracool. Oh, my God, don't talk about Seracool. See, Seracool is the worst. The, the human body? Seracool is literally... The more you look at research, Seroquel. Next Monday. Seroquel. Like, <laughs> the thing is, doesn't mean that, you know, I don't want to sound like, you know, okay, I'm completely against it. It's not about that. It's always the number one thing we always ask patients is you're getting a drug, do your research. Don't tell the doctor. Do your research. Look at the exact amount of patient population pool that these things were tested on, okay? So when you go into the psychiatric drugs, if you look at the patient population of what they actually tested these drugs on is like to me beyond nonsense because you need a major pool. Like if I was to tell you that you're going to take this thing and you're going to take 10 milligrams of it, okay? You and I told you, thousand hey, people have tried I, exactly. That. You Definitely. wouldn't want 12, 15, or 100 no. even people doing it, right? Minimum. So this is the thing. That aspect of the brain health, okay, that they say, oh, it's a serotonin deficiency. Let's give it an SSRI. Uh, so let's give a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, Okay. And fix the problem. No, it might give you happiness for a day, okay? Ecstasy does the same thing, or MDMA, right? So they used MDMA in the 70s. It's coming back now as a, as a possible... It's going to be, in, I think, 2021. It's actually going to be something we can prescribe, right? MDM, pure MDMA. Is that the for, like the shroom factor? No, or? it's the one that gives... It's for ecstasy ah, or okay. molly Jesus or whatever the street Christ. name is. But MDMA itself, okay, if you look at the functionality, it was used for family therapy what back in the MND? 70s for... <laughs> for uh, it was used in the 70s for family therapy where you know let's just say couples couldn't talk to each other because there was innate issues within that family right there was things that couples never dis they never talk about or they never bring up and over time it eats them internally right so this mdma kind of substance okay that was actually this was medically done in in in, uh, in the lab what it was doing was it was putting people couples in front of each other and they would go on for 6 hours going into the depths of each issue and they were fixing family problems. I'm not saying that everybody should go take this, but these things in psychedelics like uh, magic mushrooms are actually, psilocybin is actually approved to come out as a yeah. drug. So I Psychologists agree with use it? it, basically. Yeah, I mean, we can all prescribe it, but the idea is, do you really want to get to that? I'm just throwing some ideas out there that s most of these studies, when you deal with psychiatric care, you have to always go and do your own research. Yeah. Anything anybody does, I give you, go do your research. So you can tell doctor, hey, what's this? Okay, like, we want to learn, okay? Ask the wise. Ask the wise all the time. You yeah. always want to be educated, okay? You want to be educated. You want to know what you're taking, whatever it is. It could be a simple herb. It could be an amino acid. It could be anything. Ask the wise. And if you get a response like, you don't need to know, then leave. Don't, don't, don't take One it. One of our guests <laughs> is like, we should be quizzed after the show. I'm going to fail. Well, Nautic thinks we should, we're going to get a bachelor's degree after the show. Yeah. The three no, of us. If this, is, this is the thing. Look, all of this is pure knowledge that anybody there's, doesn't put me at an advantage. It's just about... It's a lot of information. It's, it's a lot, lot of information but, crammed but you, into but two hours. But you don't have to remember it. All of you course have to, not. All you have to do is make an appointment with Dr. Yeah, I mean, Malik. No, let's not <laughs> get into that. No, no, though. honestly, I mean... It's, it's, not, it's, that's not, it's, that's I, not what that's, the doctor said. The doctor what, said you come visit me, but you right. need to be willing to do the work no, yourself. But also, it's edu the doctor is here is Correct. mainly education. It, like, I love doing this. I love helping people, especially anybody. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. When people know they know what's going on, 
they're gonna turn around and help somebody else, and it's it's basically we're kind of helping. Everybody. It's a domino right? effect. That's, that's, that's what it is. Thing here, and and the, the more knowledge you have, the way I look at it is the more knowledge you have, the more humble you are. You want to give away. You want to help the people. Right. You don't want to hold it in. Of course okay? not. There's no doctor. All these things don't mean anything. You know, you go enough to anything, they'll give you a doctor's degree, right? But it's about when you go there and do that, you want to make sure that you're doing it for good reasons. Okay? Absolutely. It's just, we teach our kids. What's your why? Yeah, ex- you, know, you teach your kids. It's like in the U.S. specifically, it's like, okay, financially beneficial. Or go be a lawyer. Go be a doctor. You know what I mean? But they don't say, hey, go be an artist. Okay? What is lacking? Creativity, right, in our society. In Definitely. Sense, okay? There's like. no creative minds. It's so if you look at the big institutions like where I went to, UCSD, like the philosophy department was an like an ant compared to the biology department or the, let's just say, chemistry department. Yeah. But if you're thinking about it, what is the most basic thing for a scientist, right? Question, why? Okay? why? What does philosophy teach you? <laughs> to question things and to think. So you're pushing away critical thinking, but you're hammering away this one ideology. Well, our, science, our whole education okay? system so science has, has become... You have, to be, you have to be well. in the field you're in for the right reasons. Yeah. Whether it's for being an attorney, being a doctor, any of that stuff. If you're in it for the wrong reasons and if you're in it for the money... Your your patients or your clients or whoever they are, they're not going to get the service that they deserve. And they're not going to come back to you. And they're not going to come back to you. Absolutely. Simple. Um, uh, and Nanak had a question about TRT. Uh, oh, we're yeah, not ignoring no, I'll the question, that. but is isn't the question? that the uh, so, so TRT, TRT is isn't testosterone, testosterone replacement? Yeah. So, Again, Didn't we talk I, about that yeah, in the beginning? We want to, again, we touched on so many different yeah. things. We can have a complete discussion on, compl- like, hormone replacement itself. So TRT, I'm all for it, okay? Testosterone replacement. With age, your testosterone goes down. I don't care what you do. If you're in your 50s, okay, there is no, you can go work out all you want. There's only, I wouldn't say every single individual, but with age, testosterone goes down. Growth hormone, go down, okay? So part of the TRT thing falls into anti-aging, okay? So if you're looking into TRT, I kind of mentioned that early on. In it is a steroid. It's a steroid. So it's testosterone sipinate, okay? But we can use peptides to increase testosterone more naturally, okay? Instead of going to the testosterone itself. LGD3300 is a specific uh, peptide that is like a supplement patients can take to increase it, it activates uh, basically steroid receptors, increases testosterone without going to testosterone. But the best thing if you're trying to do TRT is I definitely ask patients to do to get a CBC. We always want to look at red blood cells and something called hematocrit, which is the viscosity of the blood. Because when you do do testosterone replacement, it increases, it makes your blood almost liquid, it makes it like oily, so it increases the viscosity. So we want to first check before we start anything where the hematocrit is. Hold on, it, it makes it oily or it makes it, makes it thicker? Thicker, like yeah. viscosity. It, you can, up. because from what I understood was taking TRT, if you don't exercise and you don't take the right supplements to basically uh, loosen up the blood as far as making it uh, a little bit more, uh, not dilute, but like thinner, thinner yeah. you can get, you can, you no, can get a heart so attack. This is the, this is the misconception. A lot of times doctors that place people on testosterone replacement, they don't constantly measure. So the goal for that is if you're going to use this long term, what we call is therapeutic phlebotomy, meaning every three months our patients come or they go to Red Cross or wherever they go. We, they, it's, it's basically bloodletting. Okay. So you take blood, Again, it's archaic stuff, but bloodletting has been used for. It's many, again, many but years. in these situations, because it increases red blood cells, okay, and it increases your hematocrit. So you want to make sure you get a CBC. You also want to make sure whenever you do TRT, you want to look at pituitary function. So you want to look at LH, 
you want to look at testosterone, free testosterone, you want to look at your estradiol, you want to look at pregnenolone, and you want to look at DHEA sulfate, okay? You want to look at all this <laughs> idea because you want to look at the... So hormones are cascade-based, okay? So you can look, you can take a low stream of, uh, uh, approach, meaning you can go straight to testosterone, or you can go upstream. So cholesterol is the father, so everything is made from cholesterol yeah. into pregnenolone, okay? From there, it gets distributed to DHEA. It can go into estrogen. It can go into testosterone. So again, when we talk about statin drugs, they stop testosterone production, right? So when you stop to, if you put people that are on uh, long-term statin drugs, yeah. okay, atrovastatin is one of them, is with for uh, cholesterol issues, they all have low testosterone. So the drug is inducing a secondary um, hypogonadism, okay, functionality. Is and that reversible? That, and that is basically what it does is secondary causes cardiovascular risk. So yeah. when you look at the overall aspect of TRT, it's there's a lot more negatives to having low T than having super high T. Yeah. And a lot of times with athletes or people that just go to the gym and they get it off the market on the street, their problem is when I see these patients, they are using too much, okay? The wrestlers, and not man, even the wrestlers. Checking it. And then when we check, it's like 2,500, for example, total testosterone. You know, it's way yeah. too high saturated. So this leads to problems because it increases viscosity and this could cause heart, cardiovascular risk yeah. factors, okay? So you want to make sure that when you do any of these things, do your research, okay? Always, again, start with the basics. Did you try the exercise? Did you try glutes? Exercising your glutes or your quads? Did that work? Did it increase anything? No. Then what can we use a little bit more natural? So you leave the testosterone for the last option if you're young. I say if you're up until 35 years old. If you're above 35 to the 40s to the 50s, you can try it. But again, there's nothing wrong with going on it. Like I would disagree with people that say, hey, you know, you can't be on testosterone. It causes cancer. Or it causes, the biggest thing is it causes your PSA to go up, prostate-specific antigen. So it causes prostate cancer. Well, a lot, really, of, pro doesn't. A lot of professional fighters, wrestlers, those guys, they can't go on. Well, wrestlers, forget it. Wrestlers, they don't even monitor that stuff. But professional fighters, boxers, MMA guys, they can't use TRT. Uh, one of them was Alistair Overeem. Oh yeah, no, they can't. They can't. It's it's yeah, it's a it you an advantage. Yeah. See, Alistair Overeem. Alistair Overeem was an MMA fighter. The guy in his twenties was a monster. I mean, he was he was like six six. He weighed like two hundred and fifty pounds, just sheer muscle. The guy's in his thirties now, but you know he he was he was caught with TRT. Yeah, but you can't see. This is the thing. Any kind, if you're in any professional sports or amateur sports, WADA, which regulates all this, you're gonna get caught right away if you go to testosterone. And right. it's, it's an unfair advantage. But the problem is, they all say we have a lot of that. It's an unfair advantage not to be on it because the whole that industry is on it. So I mean, that becomes an ethical thing. I don't know where you well, fall it's, under it. You said I just is say the that, that you know we want to look at it, make sure for my my main job is so you don't hurt yourself. Yeah. So. To answer that, you want to kind of get those things in order, check those things, see where you are, and see if you're a potential candidate. And there's nothing wrong with it. That's what I'm saying. Like, culturally, we said this early on, like, there's always this thing of, it causes cancer when you say hormones, you know? It's not necessarily, that's pro synthetic versus non-synthetic. There's a lot of factors there. But we have to be realist, right? So when you go on testosterone, actually, and you're on there for long term, if I take it away, it is going to have side effects, meaning... You're going to feel low mood, okay, yeah. because you're taking this external thing, endogenous. Taking and, it away. And you're taking it away. So yeah. the question becomes, as you get older, is it something that you do long term for anti-aging? And that question relies on you. So once you know the education. What happens you, when you stop, though? That's what what's I'm saying. What's this bad? What's the, I mean, let's say 
We the, get medicine yeah. and side effects. Of Every course. medicine they give of you course. has side effects. What's the side effect of you stopping the testosterone So the what main side effect of testosterone, if you do too much, you get hypo, like your gonads, okay, shrink. So yes. that's why we have to add HCG with it as well, okay, to keep your testes viable so you produce sperm so you can be fertile, okay, depending on your age. But if we look at it like kind of ethically in a sense, if you age and you have low T, if you stop and you're going to go back to low T, do you want to go back to low T? That's the question I would ask you. No. There's really. no way to bring it up. Let's just say you're 60 years old, okay? So the question there is you're going to be on it for long term. That you have to be monitored properly. That would be my answer to you. If you're in your 20s and 25, I wouldn't be on it for a very long term. Yeah. I would try, if, you're, if my patient's 25, I wouldn't even go on that first thing, okay? There's all these other things we can use to increase it, okay? So this comes to, with age, okay? So, again, we can talk about this issue one day, just a whole episode. On Doc, you're coming back. You're on payroll now. <laughs> and I think no, you're no. about and to join the <laughs> Wise Nuts <study. laughs> Well, Nautic suggested we change the name from Wise Wiser Nuts, Nuts to Wiser Nuts. Like oh, that. that's this show. Nice. So, Narek, you'll be paying for our apparel, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so, now we got to reprint all the shirts. Are you serious, Narek? That's a good idea, buddy. But <laughs> serious, I don't want to hold you guys. Look, no, no, dude, you're, you're, no. The reason, look, the reason I w- I keep on recommending the listeners to just come and see you is be- our show's not about we don't promote businesses. That's not what we do. We don't have local business owners that come here and we talk about you know do they bake cakes or make wedding flowers our show is strictly educational we have people from all walks of life from runners to physicians to um everything in between life comedians comedians, anything and everything but the reason i've kind of a little more adamant about this is because none of this stuff they're not going to remember even if they go go home (laughs) i mean go back and rewatch it they're going to go they're going to ask instead of dha hdh and whatever (laughs) else and it's going to yeah, screw things DH, up. So, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, you're correct. Again, and, and specifically one more point to make is that sp- with TRT, with testosterone, you definitely want to keep an eye. We kind of talked about this before the show started that sometimes men take testosterone and they convert it into DHT, dihydrotestosterone, mm-hmm. okay? This can cause hair loss, okay? This can cause oilier skin cause acne so therefore we don't want to give you now propecia on type of everything we're giving yeah. you. oh and propecia so, screws up the hormones yes yeah, so, so, so this, this explains is the, the whole yoked armenian dudes that are all bald this is this explains <laughs> the whole damn thing so this right. is the i mean maybe in I a know. sense I, th- th- somewhat don't, i don't want to stereotype but this is the thing uh typically in a conventional setting you'll be sent home with testosterone uh-huh. and estrozole which is a estrogen blocker because you don't want your testosterone being shunted over to estrogen, okay, and then getting gynecomastia. So you get testosterone, finasteride, and an estrozole all together, okay? And finasteride is the propecia. Yeah, it's propecia. See, again, it all, what's beautiful about all these things that we have, these tools, is about what are you trying to do for yourself? Like, what is your ultimate goal? Where are you trying to be? Don't look at what conventional alternative, all these things don't matter. What is your goal? You want to be healthy? Are you trying to look a certain way? Are you looking at anti-aging effect? I mean, we have, like, again, I haven't even opened the door to peptides, but we talked about it a little. There's things where we can actually stop telomerase function with something called epitalon. What is, what is that? E-P-I-T-A-L-O-N. What is telomerase? Epitalon. Telomerases are shortened every time your cells divide. So this is what kind of the hypothesis of us aging, okay? So there's a lot of studies done on epitalon that show that in a 10-year period, if epitalon at a certain dose is used, 
it reduces that by about 30%, which is crazy, right, if you think about yeah, it. We didn't have access to these things. The beautiful thing is now the FDA clears the way for compounding pharmacies to make these. But the biggest war on medicine, what I see that I don't like, is the FDA going after all the compounding pharmacies, okay? That could be another episode. They're stopping individualized medicine. Let's stop Customized, there and let's come back to this for yeah, next topic. Con- yeah, next episode. This, this, let's go. This is a very, that's the one this is very close to my heart because if you can't compound medicine, then you're standardizing everything for everybody. So what goes into compounding? I'll say two words and we'll stop. Like even specifically just like B12, methylcobalamin, mm-hmm. not cyano. So you can't even compound. Like the compounding pharmacy can't even make B12, for example, okay? Like they can't. They'll take away all the steroids. So there's a huge, specifically in California, a war on in, not a war, but I'm, I don't want to get into that a like hold. conspiracy Let's just thing. Say a hold but the on. idea is, I like free for the for the doctors that want to do something. They have access with compounding pharmacies because if these things go away, what are we going to do? We're not going to go get it from the street. So this is it. this is all going to lead to vaccines, and it's no, going to no, lead to all this other stuff. Let's come back when Doctor Malikian is uh, back with Dr. us. Doctor Malikian doesn't discuss vaccines. Not vaccines. Okay, we won't talk about. Let's let's talk. To Dr. Malikian about the industry itself. Yeah, yeah. we'll definitely talk around. next time. Let's talk about industry. We can talk about breakdown again. Whatever your whatever the population wants to talk about, we can take yeah. these specific net areas and do a full show on like testosterone replacement, specifically with hormone replacement for men and women, yeah. peptide therapy for men and women. What can you get? How can you get enhancements? And then again, your microbiome. There's different things, but. The biggest issue we see with all these things that I mentioned is the like the problem that compounding pharmacies are having making the stuff for the doctors. Okay, yeah. so if you don't know what a compounding pharmacy is, CVS is not a compounding yeah. pharmacy. It's generic. It's a drug made by, for example, Pfizer that they carry it or another company, and we put a prescription in. They give you standardized. You're drugs. talking about the mothership, a basically. Compounding pharmacy. There's a lot of them, right? There's still, but they're closing down. What, uh, the, what's an example of a compound? The compound that is, I'll call the pharmacist and say, hey, instead of a standardized 200 milligrams per, per injection, per ml of testosterone, please compound me 25 milligrams cream. Or compound me 75 milligrams. Or I customize it's, the medication. It's coming from a source, you, the actual source itself. Okay. For you. So I don't like But still at the same pharmacy, though. It's still no. a pharmacy. This is not a rogue thing. This is a pharmacy. There's compounding pharmacy and there's regular pharmacy. So uh, in here, I'm not going to name names again in Glendale and stuff, but there's there's still compounding pharmacies here. But they make they tell me all the time, like Doc, they're making it harder and harder and harder. And These harder are people who are actually making the medicine. They're itself. making medicine. That's, that's so if I was a pharmacist, I would stay far away from CVS. I would want to be creating. I would be want to be in a compounding pharmacy, yeah. making all these tools, right? So if the tool maker doesn't. They, they don't make it. I don't in my toolbox. It's going to empty out. I can't use these things. So besides the toolmaker not making the tools, it makes your hard job harder job to do. Weren't we going to talk about this on our next podcast? I, can't, I just uh, can't stop. Basically, we're, we're, exactly. we're, we're official. This is officially the longest podcast we've yes. had. So officially, this is the. Longest. I think Ed wants to take you home tonight. Yes, a lot more no, questions. It'll go on. Even, the, even, <laughs> even you see all the IV clinics, right? If compounding yes. pharmacies go, there'll be no more IVs yeah. specialized for you. So it is something that everybody should look into. Again, I'm a big proponent on like you know these type of liberties that we have. Okay, yeah. 
we don't have any affiliation with any specific party. This is just about liberty. Like slowly, this is about slowly yeah. they're going. Okay. <laughs> we're not going to get into that. But we're going to have we're going to have you back before time. the end of the new year, definitely. Okay. Yeah, anytime you guys want. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Uh, taking time out of your Monday, thank you, coming here in scrubs, <laughs> literally. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in, listening you, all the you. questions. Thank be- you to our wa- before, before watchers. We, <laughs> hey, before we go, Stepan Parthami's yes. birthday today. Happy, happy birthday, Stepan! Happy birthday, Stepan! From the Wiser nuts, actually. Yeah, from the wiser <laughs> nuts. Uh, thank you guys for joining us again on this beautiful Monday. We'll definitely see you guys next week. Um, bye, doctor. Yeah, thank no, you no, so doctor, much for joining us. Thank you, joining thank us. You, thank you guys. Uh, we'll, we'll get back and talk about whatever. You guys we're going to have you back before the end of the year, for definitely sure. for sure, because there's so yeah. much we could talk about with you. I mean, uh, I say we put him on a monthly basis. <laughs> <laughs> Just pick a topic. Uh, I, I don't think we can afford I, I him feel, on our payroll. Can we? I feel like I'm going to walk out of here much smarter than I walked in. I don't know about the payroll. He's he's got me second guessing keto now. No, no, no. It's you all should about, have. No, no, no. He's basically kind of cycling it out. Going on, going off, going on, going off. discussions. You know, the more we discuss and the more you all learn about all these things, I learn something from you guys, just from everybody. Right? Absolutely. So that's kind of how we build knowledge. Definitely. So we'll come back, pick a topic, or we can go into any topic. If you get 100%. feedback that they want something specific. Because yeah. I couldn't go into specific details with all these things. There's a lot of... <laughs> like Are you kidding me, bro? There's <laughs> <laughs> more detail than this guy can handle. Because you have to understand it detailed in order for your brain to conceptualize what yeah. we're talking about. No, bro, so my head is going to explode next time. <laughs> <laughs> Bring some medicine with you when you come next time. Bring some exosomes. <laughs> exactly. Oh, there you go. Yeah, All right, guys. Take care. Have a productive week. We'll see you guys next Monday. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Monday, everyone. Wow. Ooh.